Okay, well, we'll get started then Are if you're on? ready. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to state for the record that my name is Michelle Marino, and today's date, although we couldn't remember it, is Tuesday, <laughs> September 25th, 2018, and I am here interviewing Robert D. What's the D stand for? Dean. Dean Garten. Um, we are at his home in Columbus, Indiana, and we are doing an audio digital oral history interview. So I'll start with some easy questions okay. of when and where were you born? Uh, Sheraton, Iowa, in Lucas County, Iowa. Uh, you go down to the next county, and then you go to that southern border of the next county, and you're in Missouri. Uh, so okay. it's very far south. Okay. It's where the glacier ended, so it's not the farmland that it is up in central Iowa. Okay. It's a town of about 5,000 people when I was there, and it's still about 5,000 people. <laughs> but uh, the county where I was born was the same county that John L. Lewis was born, president of the United Mine Workers, mm -hmm. and grew up there uh, because it was also coal mining country. Okay. At, that, at that time, and uh, so that's, uh, uh, then I went through the Sheraton Public Schools mm -hmm. and their high school. Okay, and did you give me your birth date there? Uh, August 18, 1933. I, I was born in, um, on the second floor of a um, uh, white clapboard house about a mile from the railroad, or a mile, about a block from the railroad tracks there in Sheraton. Uh -huh. And uh, my dad was a, a doctor of osteopathy. Uh, but he was not allowed to uh, practice in the local hospital, which was owned by an MD, because MDs and DOs did not recognize each other, mm -hmm. and now they all take the same uh, exams, mm -hmm. uh, boards, if you will, mm -hmm. and, uh, and they're totally accepted. But at the time, uh, Dad had to practice in Des Moines from the osteopathic hospital there. Wow. Uh, so uh, he assisted in the delivery, uh, and... Um, that's uh, that's where we grew up at that point. Okay. And um, what are your parents' names? Uh, Dad's name was Dr. Uh, Jesse Glenn Garton. And he went by his middle name, Glenn. I don't know why, but he did. And Mom was uh, Ruth Irene Wright. And she grew up in Indianola, Iowa, about 25 miles from Sheraton. And uh, mom, for some reason, went by her middle name. Uh, so uh, dad uh, was very intelligent. He was, a, you would call him an intellectual today. Uh, in fact, he combined two grades twice when he was going through school. And so he graduated, I think, when he was about 15 years old. And so then he worked two years uh, as a gravel truck driver. and. Uh, for some reason, since he was 11 years old, always wanted to be an osteopath. So he ended up going to Kirksville for a couple of years after he had earned enough money to be able to afford to go there. Um, uh, and he then finished up at uh, the Des Moines General Hospital in Des Moines. Uh, went to Milo, set up practice, had a fire, burned out, decided to relocate to Sheraton, Iowa, and uh, down in the next county southwest of it, uh, my grandfather, uh, he and the grandmother owned a, uh, uh, well, what would they call a convenience store? Yeah. It was a very, very small community called Cambria. And uh, uh, Grandpa 
uh, was a, ran for the school board and was elected. And at that time, they were in the midst of consolidation. And so uh, Grandpa broke the tie and voted to consolidate the high school in Cambria. And all of the surrounding schools then were very opposed. So he lost half his business. And it was the start of the Depression, and he lost the other half. <laughs> So, <laughs> it's a bad string of luck there. And the irony is that high school is the only thing that held that community together for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so uh, back to uh, dad uh, with his DO degree, uh, mom grew up in, as I say, Indianola, Iowa, went to Simpson College and got her two-year certificate in teaching uh, and then got a job in Cambria to teach uh, where grandpa and grandma lived. And she rented a room in their house. <laughs> and that's how mom and dad met and were married. And then after their marriage, mom did not teach anymore. She often helped dad out in the office. Mm -hmm. Dad had a huge practice. Mm -hmm. In fact, Des Moines General said he's probably the best diagnostician in central Iowa. Uh, so and how was, far away was Des Moines? Part, uh, to, oh, Des Moines, that's a good question. It was about 50 miles. Okay. It's, it's about like Columbus and Indianapolis now. Okay. Sometimes I wonder if I'm not replicating <laughs> my hometown in Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> Except Sheraton has still stayed 5,000. Mm -hmm. Columbus is... Oh, by the way, uh, uh, Sheraton is also the headquarters of High V. Hmm. If you've mm -hmm. heard of it. I have. High V stands for Hyde and Vredenburg. Those were the two guys that started the distribution of grocery center. And it became then their headquarters. It grew, and now I believe it is the largest privately held grocery chain in America. That's funny. I am familiar with Hy-Vee. When I lived out in Nebraska, Hy-Vees oh. were very big oh, out there. And it was the nice grocery store right. to go to. But right. I never knew what that stood for. Yeah, and uh, uh, then they, they got a new president. And the rumor was she did not want to leave, live in Sheraton, too small. So they moved headquarters to Des Moines, but the distribution center is still there. And plus, uh, I think several thousand people. It's, uh -huh. it's a very huge facility. And also there's a Johnson Machine Works there that built big dams throughout the country. Okay. Uh, so those were the two major employers uh, there in Sheraton. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, um, how did your family your grandparents end up in that area? Or why, how did they come to Iowa? Well, I don't really know. Uh -huh. uh, Mom really had researched the family. Uh, and, and somewhere I have misplaced and can't find the book <laughs> and the, all the work she did. Uh, but if I remember right, uh, we, we've got uh, Welsh, we have Irish, we have German, uh, we have English in our background. And, and whatever wing of the family moved to North Carolina. And then I think they came to Indiana. In fact, I, uh, Mom said I've got one, one relative that started the first Sunday school class uh, up in central Indiana, uh -huh. a Methodist. Uh, and Mom always claimed we were related to the Wright brothers. And not claimed, proved it, because uh, her, their last name was Wright. Uh -huh. And incidentally, that was an old joke that I used to used to tell. Uh, well, why did you become a Republican? And you're probably going to ask that later on, so I will wait for, <laughs> okay. for that joke. Remind me okay. of it. Okay, well, we'll get back to that one yeah. then. So. And uh, uh, 
both grandparents uh, ended up being farmers, uh, one in Wayne County and uh, one in the uh, county where Indianola is. Uh, but unfortunately, during those Depression years, when uh, Grandpa lost his store, uh, Grandpa Garton, uh, they had to move in with Mom and Dad. That's not the most pleasant experience sure <laughs> either at the time. Yeah. And then Dad, uh, Grandpa got a job as a butcher. Uh, and then Dad uh, bought a farm down in, in uh, Wayne County. Okay. So uh, that uh, Grandpa then uh, farmed uh -huh. the farm. And, of course, Mom grew up. Uh, her parents were farmers all mm -hmm. full time. Yeah. So you said, just to help me understand the progression, that you, you had some family in Indiana first and then went to Iowa? Or did your family come from like North Carolina and then the, Iowa? They, North Carolina, and then I think some of them dropped off here. <laughs> yeah, pit stop on the way. In Indiana, yeah. uh, on mom's side of the family. Okay. And other, other than that, I simply don't know. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I think that's kind of a pretty common progression. That's how my family got this way too, I oh, think. Oh, yeah, okay. So, um, now you said obviously your dad owned a farm and then was a doctor as well, right? And your mom didn't work, but did I read somewhere that she ran for school board later yes. on? Yes, mom did run for school board. And um, I remember I was in the uh, sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade at the time, uh, sitting in the car as mom and dad went door to door campaigning. She was the first woman to be elected to the school board in Sheraton. And then unfortunately or fortunately, <laughs> She made the right decision, but she broke the tie to fire the football coach. <laughs> Which I bet was a very big deal. Now, when you're in the sixth grade, <laughs> and you have your classmates who think the football coach is a pretty neat guy. Yeah. It was an interesting time. <laughs> I bet Oh, and Dad, Dad also uh, ran. Did I mention that he ran for the uh, town council? No. And was elected to the town council. Okay. He only served one term. Mm -hmm. But, uh, oh, my what improvements happened uh, when he was on the council. Uh, they built an airport in Sheraton. Uh, they, they changed the traffic pattern around the square, uh, which still exists. Uh, they opened a solid waste dump. Uh, you know, they really did uh, a lot of uh, terrific things. Yeah. But Dad said four years was enough. And uh, yeah. Did I get my interest in politics from those two? I don't know, but Mom was very, very active in the Republican Party. Okay. And um, like at the city or county level, or at, at the city level. The city level. And that's when we were on paper ballots. Election night, she wouldn't get home till five or six in the morning because they'd been up all night counting ballots. Uh -huh. Wow. <laughs> paper ballots, and uh, yeah. Uh, and I might as well mention, uh, you know, why did I become a, a Republican? Uh, well, the Wright family was all Republican. Mm -hmm. The Garden family were all Democrats. <laughs> in, in, fact, in fact, Dad told uh, Grandma Garton uh, in one of the FDR campaigns, I think it was the 1940 campaigns, said... If, if Roosevelt selected mom, uh, we're going to war. So grandma d could not vote Republican, so she did not vote in that election. <laughs> they were, I mean, they were straight. I mean, the Rice Republican, the Gardens Democrats. So that's how I became a Republican, as I used to joke, because I'm half right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Okay. 
Um, I got one other thing to tell you about yeah, my early do. years. Please do. Um, when I was uh, five years old, mm -hmm. my dad's a doctor, and I kept having this pain, but it would come and go. It was intermittent. I would be fine, and then I'd have the pain again. And what in the world is wrong? And finally, we went to the local MD hospital, mm -hmm. and I had an infected appendix. Oh. And it was, it was dripping. Mm -hmm. And I was infected, so I'd be okay, then it would stop. And it got very serious. I, I had to go to surgery there at the local hospital. And uh, these were the days before the antibiotics. Uh, penicillin didn't exist. So I was in such pain that they gave me morphine. Almost died. That's why I always say I'm allergic to morphine, whether I am or not, yeah. all these years. And it got to the point where at five years old, I weighed 25 pounds. And I remember being in that local hospital bed and vomiting all the way to the wall, uh. you know. And then I remember mom sitting by my bedside and I was working on some uh, childhood uh, puzzle and, and she was crying and I couldn't understand why she was crying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have since found out that my chances for living were 40, 60, the wrong way. So dad finally moved me to um, Dr. Schwartz up at Des Moines General. Mm -hmm. And uh, every year since then, I'd sent him a Christmas card because he, he literally saved my life and, and did a surgery. Mm -hmm. And what the result of that is that I was always thin, very, very thin. Uh, up until, I mean, I remember being in the seventh grade, I would not walk across in front of the classroom to sharpen my pencil because I was so embarrassed. I was so thin. Uh -huh. And and I, I was in sports. And, and finally, my junior year said, you know, I'm, I'm tired of being thin. Uh -huh. So mom said it, 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 it cost him two cows, one to milk and one to butcher. <laughs> but every day I'd drink four quarts of milk. And I remember I'd go to bed at night and I'd roll back and forth in my bed and I'd just slosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I ate meat and potatoes mm -hmm. and, and I ended up uh, gaining about, uh, uh, I think about uh, 60, 70 pounds. Wow. So it slowed me up a little bit in football, but yeah. other than that. Well, I think I heard though that you were a four sport I was athlete, a four sport. so I don't think it hurt you too bad. Yeah, well, the reason I was a four sport is because we didn't offer four sports until I got my letter. <laughs> We, we we had track, football, and basketball, but mm -hmm. we never had baseball. Well, they added baseball. Mm -hmm. So that was my four letters. And to my my knowledge, I was the first four-sport letterman there mm -hmm. at, at, in high school. And I really loved um, uh, basketball. Uh, I was honorable mention on their all-conference. Mm -hmm. uh, they had first team, second team, and then I was honorable mention. I was also co-captain of the basketball team. Well, you were a Hoosier at heart then, weren't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And uh, uh, I played in, in, uh, in football and ended up being a punter on the team. And um, I remember we were playing Knoxville, Iowa, and uh, we were getting ready to go out, and it was going to be a very even game. Mm -hmm. And uh, the coach, it was a real compliment to me. I, I took it that way. He said, Coach said, I think we're going to be okay with them because we've got a better punter than they do. <laughs> so, well, there you go. That was nice. That is nice. <laughs> 
Um, now, did you have any siblings? No, only child. Only child. Now, okay. The irony is, wife Barbara is also an only child. Oh. <laughs> so, how can that work out all of these years? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, uh, she grew up in St. Louis. Oh, okay. Webster Grove suburb. Okay. Of St. Louis, dad, dad was a musician uh, by training. He grew up in southeastern Iowa on a farm. He, he didn't know really what he wanted to do, but he knew he didn't want to be a farmer. And uh, he played the violin. He was a string and oboe man. And at that time, you studied under someone. You didn't go to university for, mm -hmm. for music. And ended up uh, playing in the Chicago Symphony. And then uh, that's where he and uh, uh, Nana, we called mm -hmm. Grandma, uh, he and Arlene Hicks were married. And oh, by the way, that, that was an interesting time because she was an usher. And uh, they were engaged, but they couldn't let anybody know because nobody that uh, was engaged or married to somebody in the orchestra could hold that job as an uh. usher. And some people turned him in. They kept seeing him sitting on a bench for lunch. And so he ended up in uh, uh, St. Louis, uh, was the uh, uh, leader of the uh, Philharmonic, and also the leader of the Scottish uh, band. Uh, Barb's background is Scottish. Mm -hmm. And was the secretary of the uh, union at the Muni Opera in St. Louis. Wow. And uh, has again played the oboe and the uh, uh, clarinet. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, was in Who's Who in Music, by the way. Yeah. So Goodness. he was, uh, yeah, he was quite a, quite a guy. So mm -hmm. that brings you up to date on that oh, side of the family. Too. Okay. Um, well, who are the who would you say are the most influential people in your childhood? Parents, teachers. Yeah, parents were very influential. Uh, coaches are always influential mm -hmm. to young guys at that age. Uh, well, yeah, there was another fellow that ended up being rather influential. His name was Leo Hoig. Leo Hoig was the first. Um, um, uh, civil disaster uh, member of the uh, cabinet. I believe it was in Eisenhower's cabinet. Mm -hmm. And Leo Hoig was an attorney there in, in uh, Sheraton, Iowa. Leo Hoig uh, then hired uh, my Aunt Phyllis, who married Dad's younger brother. Uh, and then Leo Hoig ran for governor, and she went up and uh, worked as his uh, uh, secretary mm -hmm. when he was governor of the state of Indiana. Uh, Leo Hoig was also my Sunday school teacher oh. <laughs> at the, at the uh, Methodist Church. Uh -huh. the, one of my other Sunday school teachers was the uh, uh, corporate secretary at Hy-Vee. Uh, and uh, th th that was kind of interesting, yeah. too. Yeah, I bet. So... Uh, now, did I answer your question fully on that? You did, yeah. And we've, we've already sort of talked about how you came into politics as a kid and the differences on both sides. So um, what, what schools did you attend? It was all Sheridan High School, okay. all public high school. Mm -hmm. And then it's so different today. When I graduated, I had, I had no idea where I was going to college. I mean, Mom and Dad made sure I was going to go to college, uh, Cornell College in Iowa, you know, uh, uh, you know what, what different schools. And I, I mean, I'd graduated. I still hadn't made a choice. Uh -huh. uh, in those days, you didn't really have to. It wasn't uh -huh. as competitive yeah. in those days. 
And dad was talking uh, to either one of his patients or a fellow doctor, said, you know, Iowa State uh, College, it was called then, uh, has a program called ROTC. Uh, they will they will pay you monthly uh, if you're in the program. And so Dad said, well, why don't you look into that? So I did, uh, NROTC, Devo, ROTC, hey. And so that's how I got to Iowa State. Okay. Uh, it was it. I had no idea what I was going to major in mm -hmm. whatsoever. Um, well, the first year you don't really have to make a determination. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... Uh, I was in NROTC, and we hit a course called navigation, which I barely passed. And I said, the Navy is not for me. <laughs> I do not want to join the uh -huh. Navy. And we had a Marine Corps uh, attachment to it. And hey, that's a lot about history. <laughs> you know? you and I can learn about it. And I don't have to take navigation mm -hmm. or math <laughs> or, or any of that uh -huh. stuff. And so that's why... I ended up on, on the Marine Corps side, and at, at Iowa State at the time, uh, the head of the uh, uh, ROT's battalion was always a naval uh, cadet, and the executive officer was always a Marine. Well, I was named uh, the executive officer my senior year uh, of the battalion, and um, I was very pleased with that, uh, but that's, that's how I ended up. Now, I'm going to do some hand motions here, but this is how I got my commission. Otherwise, I would not have been commissioned in, in the Marine Corps. Okay. And then, wow, what am I really going to do next? I had to pass an eye test. So, I'm trying to memorize the eye chart because I know my right eye is weak. Uh -huh. I'm not wearing glasses, but I know it's weak. And I can't memorize them fast enough. And so I come up at the end of the line and the guy says, uh, uh, cover one eye with your hand. I covered my right eye with my left hand. Mm -hmm. He said, now cover your other eye. And I covered my right eye with my right hand. <laughs> and they didn't catch it, and I passed. <laughs> That's wow. how I got my commission. There you go. you got to be resourceful, right? <laughs> and I, I had no, um, no plans uh, after graduating from Iowa State, because I knew I was going into the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Uh, and who knows, maybe I want to be a, you know, a, a full-time military. Mm -hmm. so. What did you end up majoring in in Ohio? Well, thank Iowa you State. for asking. Because when I grew up in Iowa, the University of Iowa was the liberal arts school. Mm -hmm. Iowa State College was the engineering, ag, um, science, mm -hmm. okay, technical. So... I could not major in liberal arts, so I found out that if I had to take chemistry, I was in big trouble, and if I had to take physics, I was in worse trouble. <laughs> so I found out I could take enough geology courses to get in 15 hours for a minor. And then I, oh, I'll go into technical journalism. Well, I didn't really care for that, but I got a minor in technical journalism, and then I got a minor in ROTC, and I got a minor in economics. So I graduated with a general science degree. <laughs> a lot of minors. With, with four minors <laughs> and no major. By the way, Iowa State College is now Iowa State University. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, the Iowa State University and, and, and University of Iowa all can offer the same courses now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all changed. Uh, a little aside, it has nothing to do with the interview, but in, in the late 1930s, the football between those two schools was so intense. Oh. I mean, they would have riots, and they suspended football play for about 20 years. Really? Because it was so bad. And I think it was in the mid to late 50s when they started playing each other again. <laughs> yeah, football is the real deal out that oh, way, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So well, I think we... I think we oh, I, I, uh, I joined uh, the Beta Theta Pi fraternity hmm. um, because my uncle, my mom's brother, uh, got his after uh, graduated from uh, Simpson College, mm-hmm. was admitted to master's program at Stanford and got his degree there. And so he told mom, uh, when she asked him, well, what's a good fraternity? He said, he named several and he named Beta Theta Pi. And um, so that's where um, uh, that, that I joined Beta Theta Pi. I, I ended up, uh, I was never really an officer. I ended up kind of a corp, uh, correspondent secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, our class, uh, pledge class, was so jealous of each other, we could never elect a president out of there <laughs> or a vice president. <laughs> Um, and uh, so I, uh, I I was not active in the Interfraternity Council, but I was active in several other organizations. Mm-hmm. And I even ran for president of the class, mm-hmm. uh, lost that. Uh, and also they had a science uh, division council. Mm-hmm. And I lost that election. I think one by 50 votes, one by about eight votes. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I lost, I lost. We're not going to have a recount, yeah. for heaven's sake. <laughs> So uh, I was active in that, and then when I was at the fraternity, with my background in journalism, uh, I did their um, their annual uh, report that we sent to alumni, mm-hmm. and uh, I got the uh, National Beta Theta Pi Award for yeah. for uh, for our it was a um, it was a pamphlet kind mm-hmm. of a thing mm-hmm. that you put together, uh, and and one of the things that I really fell into, uh, there was a Lake Mills printer that printed the freshman guides at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. And it paid $1,000 whoever represented them on campus. Wow. And that's all you had to do was represent them on campus. And so I got it when the predecessor left and graduated. So I got that $1,000. And so then I went to Lake Mills and also got a commission for printing wow. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the pamphlet yeah. uh, or the brochure, whatever it was. Uh, that's where I learned about raised printing, by the way. I'm off target here a bit. That's okay. Uh, sorry, Michelle, but no. when we were in the Marine Corps, we were told at basic officer's training, everybody had to have calling cards. And those calling cards had to be engraved. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't be cheap ta- right. calling cards. Well, from Lake Mills printing, I learned there was a technique called raised printing. Mm-hmm. Raised printing, you could not distinguish between it and engraved printing. Mm -hmm. And it was about 20% of the cost. (laughs) And so I went around to all my um, uh, fellow lieutenants Mm -hmm. and took orders. And Barb and I lived in Fredericksburg, Mm -hmm. found a printer there. (laughs) And so for several weeks, every morning I'd carry in boxes of of printed cars. (laughs) For the discounted and they passed, rate? they did pass the test. Because yeah. when you went to call on the colonel, you had to leave your mm-hmm. your card, and, and it had to be engraved. Mm-hmm. But printing worked. <laughs> Raised printing. That's funny, too. So, okay. Um, well, 
I, I don't, I'm not sure I included this in, in the questions, but I was just kind of thinking of your timeline. Were you probably in junior high or early high school when World War II started? Or even elementary, maybe? 33, Yeah, 31, 33, elementary? 7. Uh, no, I wouldn't have been in junior high. Maybe still elementary uh, school. Yeah. Well, I guess I was just wondering, did the war affect Sheraton or your family in any way? No, but it sure affected Iowa. Now, I can't remember the brothers' names, but they were famous. They were all on a ship, mm -hmm. and the ship was sunk, and all five brothers died. Oh. And that's when federal policy changed. Relatives could not serve on the same yeah. ship, immediate family relatives. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, why can't I think of the name? Because Is it, it was Sullivan? So Sullivan Brothers, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're better than I am. You know your history. <laughs> that's right. Good. It was the Sullivan Brothers. It was yeah. tragic. Uh, and, and other than that, my, uh, my uncle, uh, dad, dad had cancer, uh, cancer, he had an ulcer, I probably brought on when I was five years old. Yeah. And uh, so he ended up being exempt, uh, but my uncle uh, was drafted and uh, a Jeep uh, domestic uh, training exercise flipped on him and broke his back. So he had a time recovering from that, but he never served overseas mm -hmm. either. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, it, it affected because mm -hmm. of gold star mothers mm -hmm. and um, so forth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, so we made it through there. Well, now I know. Well, can you kind oh, of. Oh, by, uh, by the way, yeah. uh, I did. I did run for president of my senior class in high school. Oh, uh huh. And uh, at that time, they had a system where your senior class nominated people, and they took the top nominees, mm -hmm. and I ended up being nominated for president, vice president, and secretary. <laughs> uh, and, and that's on the ballot. And I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think this is good. Yeah. It may not have made any change whatsoever, mm -hmm. uh, but my vote was split among three offices. <laughs> so I didn't get any of the offices. Yeah. And the fellow, the fellow who ended up president of our class, uh, Frank Mitchell, ended up uh, going to Iowa State as well and ended up uh, teaching at University of Southern California and writing a book on Truman. And uh, he's now retired and uh, was a tenured professor at, at uh, wow. I think it was U University of Southern uh -huh. California. That's interesting. It was either that or UCLA. Yeah, one of them. Uh, and Frank was a good guy. Uh, so uh, I, w I was active in different organizations, but... Uh, high school, too. No, no big deal. Yeah, okay. Um, if you could walk me through the timeline. So you're in ROTC in your undergrad. Now, I know you also got a master's degree. Did you go straight into the Marines, or did you pursue that straight master's degree? Straight into the Marines. Okay. Straight. That's why I didn't really do any job interviews. Okay. Uh, because, you know, it was an obligation. There was no mm -hmm. question. And it was a two-year commitment. Um, at the end of the two years, I think, I, fi I finally figured out, I graduated in the top 15% of my class there, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty good, because when we got into na navigation and compasses, we did not do well on that test. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> that stayed with me. <laughs> and, and my my captain told me, he said, he said, uh, because we, we got our assignments mm -hmm. uh, before we left Quantico, and <laughs> my captain said, um, I would have recommended you for the infantry, but I know you didn't want it. And I said, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I ended up in the supply corps and uh, was assigned uh, to a supply school, first of all, at Camp Lejeune. 
I, I learned in North Carolina, it's called Lejeune, with an R. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, then I spent there, and then, and then I got orders to stay there. And I was special services officer, and I played baseball <laughs> and coached the baseball team. Oh, I had a marvelous two years. <laughs> Ran the movie like theater. Oh, it was, you know, uh -huh. and so, and so, there's a plaza in town here named after yours truly, uh, Robert D. Garton mm -hmm. Veterans Plaza, and it's embarrassing because I never left the States for yeah. heaven's sakes. And uh, and I always stayed at uh, at Camp Lejeune. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's time to leave, and I'm not going to stay in the Corps because I didn't really care for it that much. Uh, at Iowa State, I had four or five courses, and I have one of his books back here on the shelf uh, by Dr. Harold Davy. He taught labor relations. He was a, almost a permanent arbitrator for the UAW. In Iowa. Now that was, I mean, that was beyond belief that somebody would stay as a permanent arbitrator with the unions and the auto companies. Yeah. But he did. And he had, he wrote apparently the book on collective bargaining, which I didn't know at the time. Uh -huh. And so when I was on leave, I came back and talked to him and he said, I, I was kind of interested in uh, going to graduate school, uh, uh, maybe Cornell ILR School, Industrial Labor Relations. Uh, I had a fellow lieutenant through um, basic officers who had gone to Harvard. Mm -hmm. He really tried to convince me to go to Harvard. But I said, I really enjoy those courses mm -hmm. with Dr. Davy. So uh, on the way up to seam, I'm getting a little off tangent. Okay. On the way up to seam, I stopped in Washington, D.C. and went to the United Mine Workers Headquarters office, maybe meeting John L. in my home county. Well, he was out, but I did meet his brother A.D. Lewis. A.D. Lewis was in charge of District 50 of the United Mine Workers. District 50 was the mine workers answer to the CIO, Okay. you know, yeah. factory jobs and mm -hmm. so forth. And the more we talked, um, he offered me an internship in wow. Chicago uh, after I got uh, out of school and before graduate school started. Uh -huh. And uh, so that, that was, I was out campaigning for the union. Uh, you know, I got cards signed. <laughs> Not very many, <laughs> yeah. but I, got, I sat uh -huh. in on grievance meetings uh -huh. <laughs> wow. and I learned a lot of things. I, I, and on, on settlement of a contract, I said, this is not going to pass. And it eventually did. And I, I told the, the, the district guy, I said, he said well, what would happen if it failed? He said, it wasn't going to fail. He said, I would have kept holding votes till it passed. <laughs> so, so, okay. So now I'm going to Cornell. And I go up and I do my interviews. Now, is this and, Cornell in Iowa? Uh, no, or Cornell in, University in New York. In New York. York. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, Cornell University is a fascinating institution. Uh, and I've forgotten what the breakdown was, but there were at least four state schools, mm -hmm. and the rest were public schools, mm -hmm. you know, private. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because if you're a professor at Cornell and you're in ILR, are you a Cornell employee or are you a state employee? Uh -huh. How does that work? <laughs> Interesting. Fascinating. So I, I interviewed, and they said they would admit me. I would not have to take the GRI. 
graduate record exam, you mm -hmm. know, GRE. If I had studied under Dr. Davy, that's all it was good for. That was good. <laughs> Apparently, he wrote a letter of recommendation yeah. for me, too. Wow. And uh, so I probably wouldn't have passed the <laughs> graduate exam. <laughs> so, so I ended up, that's where I started. And it ended up another guy, uh, a class behind me, was also an Iowa State mm -hmm. grad. And then my, uh, my second year, I got an internship mm -hmm. there. And uh, between uh, the first and the second year, uh, we had uh, uh, summer uh, training for union officials uh, for a week mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of different unions uh, from New York City and around. Mm -hmm. And I got to set in and head up all of those sessions for them. Wow. I, uh, I was the, uh, I mean, I was their social guy, mm -hmm. you know, for things yeah. to do afterwards. And, during, yeah. and that was a fascinating experience. I it, bet it I, was. I loved it. I loved it. I just, I learned, I learned mm -hmm. so much. Uh, uh, this really isn't that off color, um, but one of them, one of them was the Railroad Brotherhoods, and he headed up the dining car. He mm -hmm. told me two things that stayed with me: uh, uh, Commodore Vanderbilt, when he came on board, as long as he shouted out, uh, "Well, good morning, Commodore Vanderbilt. Welcome to your train." You know, um, I had no trouble. He said, "If I didn't do that, it was hell." <laughs> From then on, and and so he he ran uh, the bar, mm -hmm. and uh, they had uh, women with, with back and forth mm -hmm. waiting on people, and he noticed that they had a tip jar. This one woman was not putting tips in the jar, mm. um, and he noticed as the train kept moving along, the zipper on her sweater kept getting lower and lower <laughs> and lower. So he finally said, "Mildred, yeah. the tips go in the jar." <laughs> Or the zipper goes up to here. <laughs> Can't keep so, hiding those away. Oh, that's funny. So, I thought it was funny. Yeah. These, these guys were good. And they, and they told me, they said, the railroads are so structured. You know, yeah, if you're a certain level of management, you always wear a hat. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and they, they all agree to all of these uh, collective bargaining agreements, and then they violate them. And they know they're violating, and they just pile up at the next train station, and nothing ever really happens. And both sides know nothing's going to happen. <laughs> it was just a really interesting experience. I bet it was. It really was fascinating. Huh. Yeah. Well, so then how... So, so anyway, that, uh, that was my two years there. And then, uh -huh. I, then I wrote a master's thesis. I did, I, you had an MILR degree, Master of Labor Relations, okay. or you had the academic degree, supposedly, the MS degree. I wanted the MS degree, mm -hmm. so I, uh, and Barb typed up the, my thesis for me, mm -hmm. and I did it uh, with the Crucible Steel Company uh, up in um, uh, Syracuse, New York. They had a collective bargaining agreement uh, that set up classifications, uh, job classifications, and they had then a, 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 a bipartisan union management board okay. that decided a lot on grievances mm -hmm. and things of that nature. And I wanted to see how well it was working out because mm -hmm. there was nothing like it in the country. Wow. And so I call it the Box Steel Company and went up, interviewed the union people, interviewed uh -huh. the uh, management people. And uh, that's that's what I wrote my thesis on. That sounds like a really interesting project. Yeah, it really was, and and particularly uh, because the unions really fought, you know, job descriptions and, mm -hmm. and classifications and, and 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 pointing those out. Well, it was a joint committee mm -hmm. that would run it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just uh, 
and and it was working very well. Yeah. But it was it was unique to the country as mm -hmm. far as anybody else knew. Yeah. So interesting so what did you want to do then when you finished your degree did you want to continue working in, in labor? labor relations I even thought about working for the Union mm -hmm. which mom's sister married a fellow who was with Pan Am Airlines uh, in management and it went he drove him nuts that I was going to work for a union I thought well I, I wanted to I knew I wanted to come back to the Midwest mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I, I, I think I interviewed a couple of, and I, wait a minute, I really can't be a, a, a salaried person in a union unless I come up from the ranks. It finally dawned on me. That, I don't think that's true anymore, but mm -hmm. then I, I had it in my mind that it, yeah. that it did. So I interviewed at uh, Cornell and um, interviewed Procter & Gamble. I made it very clear to folks at Procter & Gamble that um, I was not a technical person. <laughs> I'm coming back to that. And uh, that's okay. We'll start you out as supervisor on a shipping dock. He said, that'd be fine. Okay. So I was the, I was the first person apparently hired out of ILR to go to work for Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. It was all non-union. And walked in my first day, the plant manager there in Urbandale, suburb of Cincinnati, mm -hmm. and he said, well, he says, before we start you on the shipping dock, uh, we're going to start you in industrial engineering and, and time uh, people, uh, you know, with, and break down the different motions they make on the job. Mm -hmm. I, now I'm an industrial engineer <laughs> with this dumb stopwatch. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness, my goodness, this is not for me. <laughs> and... and and so, about three, four months, I'd been interviewed by Cummins, mm -hmm. been offered by Cummins. I did not take it, so I called Cummins. They still had a personal trainee opening. So, okay, I came over and interviewed. Mm -hmm. And by golly, I got the job offer. Well, in, in the meantime, I, I told people, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be leaving. Well, Cincinnati, the vice president of industrial relations, wanted to see me, so I went in, and he made the comment. He said, uh, well, if you weren't getting along with people, we would transfer you to Kansas or Nebraska mm -hmm. or someplace. Mm -hmm. uh, but he said, you get along with everybody fine. He said, he said you just don't like what you're doing. <laughs> I said, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> so when I left and went to open the door, I, I, and I could sense he had convinced me to stay. He had not. I was gone. Mm -hmm. So I moved after about four months mm -hmm. and then joined Cummins, personnel trainee, and then was placed in charge of their college recruiting and their management development. Uh, but very not, not very long in management development because uh, two years after I was with Cummins, I decided to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said to myself, you know, Dad built a business. Why can't I build a business? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I uh, uh, left Cummins mm -hmm. and started Garden Associates. Okay. Now Cummins was here in Columbus. Oh, I'm right? sorry. That's how you Columbus, got Indiana. Here. Yeah. And and um, I concentrated on middle management. There was executive search. Mm -hmm. I said I'll carve out a market in middle management yeah. search. So I did, and uh, stayed with that for about thirty-five years. 
Okay. And a, a dissatisfied uh, fellow from Cummins uh, went back to his family ranch in South mm -hmm. Dakota and decided he wanted to come back to Columbus. And so uh, the last, uh, oh, I don't know, five or six years, for a couple of years, he was with me mm -hmm. uh, as a partner. Okay. And we did recruiting. We did some seminar work. Mm -hmm. uh, then in 19... Am I getting too far in my no, head of myself? Okay. In 1962, when I was in the Marine Corps, I joined Toastmasters. Man, this is a neat club. I read, it, was a, it was for officers at the time, mm -hmm. and Toastmasters was all male only at that mm -hmm. time. And for some dumb reason that nobody understood, the speaker of the night, who won the club contest uh -huh. at night, uh, as a prize, would get this veterinarian's book that was printed in the 1880s. <laughs> And you got to carry it around until the next meeting. <laughs> so, so when I came to Cummins, I found Columbus mm -hmm. had a Toastmasters club. I said, I really like that, so I joined it. Uh -huh. And it was one terrific club. Mm -hmm. At that time, we had one club. Now Cummins has, I don't know, five or six clubs. What does the club do? Pardon? What does the club do? Toastmasters, uh, uh, public speaking mm -hmm. and speaking, uh, communication. Mm -hmm. uh, as, I, as I made up one time, um, I looked at the word communicate. Wait a minute. Those three letters in the middle, U and I, that's what hold it together. Otherwise, comcate makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> and it gives balance, four letters on each mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. So it's you and I, that's communication. Whether you're speaking to an individual, to an audience, or posting a memo on the bulletin board, it's one-on-one. -on -one. That's effective communication. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I love things like that. Yeah. Play with words. Yeah. So... I made up this speech, The True Measure of a Man, which was character. Toughest, I always said, the toughest competition I had was in the local club. I mean, we had vice presidents of Cummins, vice president of the old Arvin Industries mm -hmm. that made mufflers, uh, and Cummins, of course, made me the diesel engine. It was an outstanding club. Uh, and uh, I, I, I won it, and then I went up to seven different levels. Wow. Uh, at the times, counting the club. Mm -hmm. And... I, I could not have won that today. First of all, it was the true measure of a man. That is gender specific. Mm -hmm. At that time, women were not allowed in Toastmasters, as I said. Then women started their own Toastmasters club. And then finally, the Toastmasters club accepted women. Uh -huh. What I think is so fascinating, they did admit one woman under her husband's name and she was so effective in Toastmasters. This was before women had blended. Mm -hmm. She ended up becoming president of the Toastmasters International. Wow. I think women were in it at that yeah. time. But uh -huh. I, isn't that an interesting story? Yeah, I just, like that. I just thought that was fascinating. So, at that time, I was only 28 years old. Mm -hmm. At that time, you had to have a new speech for every level. And they gave you uh, several subjects about 24 hours beforehand. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't have the experience uh, or knowledge to do that. Well, for the first time, you could take one speech all the way through the different levels. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, competed here, competed in Bloomington, competed uh, down at uh, Naval Depot, uh, then competed in Indianapolis. For the first time, my mouth was dry. My tongue swelled. I heard those complaints. Now I know what people are talking about. Uh -huh. I, I kind of stumbled through it. It really bothered me. 
And when they, I ended up second. Okay, well, it was a nice run. Mm -hmm. You know, we were up at the IU Memorial Union. Mm -hmm. And, oh, wait a minute, they found out, wait a minute, because this area is so large, uh, there are two winners. <laughs> I even got the little trophy downstairs. Yeah. Uh, Runner-up. Uh -huh. So I beat the guy at Terre Haute. Oh, so. Then and then Come we back. went. Then we went to Marysville, Ohio, mm -hmm. at Scott F Feed or Grass, and then uh, we had the uh, uh, semifinals and the finals. Wow! Now all along, up until uh, the semifinals, when you drew to get your place, there are always four contests mm -hmm. contestants. Mm -hmm. I was fourth. So I, I could evaluate the speakers before me and knew what I had to do mm -hmm. or <clears throat> give me a little, a little more motivation. Sure. Until I got to the semifinals, I was first. Well, I did win that, and then we come to the finals. Mm -hmm. Now, always in Toastmasters, you had a lectern, mm -hmm. podium. And I walked into that room, and there were maybe five or six hundred people. We saw people with turbans. It was international. Mm -hmm. It was a stand-up mic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Well, you had to adjust to that. Mm -hmm. And my true measure of the man, mom and dad uh, came up from Sheraton, Iowa to join us. Barb was with us, of mm -hmm. course. Even a couple of guys from the club, were, yeah. the local club were there. And um, uh, I was telling dad, you measure a man, you know, you, you put him on scales, you weigh him and you, 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 his hat his height, and Dad said, yeah, and you thump, you know, mm -hmm. and I was using that motion, and I went blank, because it was new, I yeah. guess, and I went by rote for about three sentences, and then I got through it, and I was okay. Wow. <laughs> but uh, then when they announced it, of the uh, four contestants, th three had the first name of Robert. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so I got down to the last two bobs, yeah. and we were sitting next to each other. We shook each other's hand, and uh -huh. he was called, and then <laughs> you had won. And then, uh, then I won. That's so as deal. a result of that, um, Dean Berkeley from Bloomington. Mm -hmm. Dean was a dean dean. He was dean of school of education. And three or four years before I had won, he had won the international. Mm -hmm. That's when the rules, uh, different speech every, wow. And so I, I was talking with him one day, and you know, I, I, he was speaking around the country. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, I've hooked up with the National Management Association in Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Really? These are management clubs. Mm -hmm. Oh. I called, I went over and interviewed them. I had to have two uh, clearing speeches for mm -hmm. free, and then I would, I would, they would give me a schedule of speakers, maybe five or six at one time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I spoke all over the country to management wow. club. I spoke to, I think it was the Boeing people, the, uh -huh. you know, the North American Rockwell, the old North American. Uh, so was this part of your job now, or was this something you were doing for worked fun? Worked into my job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did speaking and seminar work then. Okay. Now, is this with, was it called Garton Associates? What was the name of your business? Robert Garton Associates. Robert Garton yeah. Associates, okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so that uh, that was that was part of my income mm -hmm. for those thirty-five years yeah. uh, from the I think it was the late sixties on, mm -hmm. and and one one quick one I was speaking to a group down in Florida, mm -hmm. and we were on the sixth floor of this uh, 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 
windows from ceiling to floor. Mm -hmm. And it was one of these guys, this group, whatever the company was, had worked on the Marinar to Mars. Wow. And it was either Mariner 5 or Mariner 6. All of a sudden, I'm halfway through my speech, and they're pointing to the windows, and I'm losing my audience, and I'm looking out there, and there's this trail. It was either Mariner 5 or 6 that was on its way. <laughs> now, these were the people that worked on it to make it happen. And <laughs> they're there listening to you. And, and I'm halfway, and I said, now, how am I going to get them back? We all ran to the windows, of yeah. course. How am I going to get them back? And I thought, i got to have something clever. i got to have mm -hmm. a joke. I come in with nothing. So I just went ahead with my, with my nose <laughs> and finished the speech. <laughs> you, you, holding an audience at that point was a real challenge. I can imagine. Yeah, they should have <laughs> given you a little more prep for that, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah, but the cereal companies, food companies, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kellogg's, uh, mm -hmm. their their management. I mean, I spoke. I really, literally spoke all over the country. I even spoke to uh, people who worked um, uh, second shifts, and we started at eleven o'clock that night. Oh wow, that'd be kind of fun. I would <laughs> yeah, it was. Different routine. And I, I would always. To me, it was my own shtick, but I would get the company, and and I would go to the local investment office. And all reports usually have some history of the company. So I would pick it up mm -hmm. and where they'd been up or down and what was happening to them. And then I would feed that back. And, and I would get evaluations back that said, you know, he told me things about our company I didn't know. <laughs> and it was just, a, it was just a, you know, a way to get their attention. Mm -hmm. And I would always start with humor. And I would try to tie it into the local area. Sure. Uh, like when George Wallace uh, was governor of Georgia and his wife became governor. Uh, one of my opening lines is, I'm, I'm just delighted to be in Georgia. It's the first time I ever wanted to dance with the governor. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, it's things like that. Right, right. That I would, that I would make up. And uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 they always, I was told by one of the staff members, the National Management Association, that I was among the, uh, uh, I think, the top three or four mm -hmm. speakers in the nation for wow. him, which, I mean, NMA never told me that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so many people get nervous public speaking. I mean, it's really a skill. What interested you about that? Like, why did you speak, like to I don't know. I was just fascinated. I was fascinated by words. And it was the Toastmasters Club mm -hmm. uh, down at Lejeune. Mm -hmm. Notice I call it Lejeune. <laughs> uh, that, that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. It was just, uh, it was, uh, I mean, there were ranks of different officers, you know, uh -huh. majors, lieutenants, uh -huh. captains. Uh, it was, it was just, it was just a fun group, uh -huh. really a fun group. So, okay. uh, well, I, I got started here. I didn't start out with the idea that I was going to win, mm -hmm. you know, go as far as you can. But I remember before we went to Minneapolis and I was driving around north of Shelbyville, those curves and in a week, we were going up to the Toastmasters International, and it just hit me as I was driving around these curves, I can win. <laughs> I, re I really, for the first, I really believed I could win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> so, well, good for you. And uh, one thing that was so interesting, too, uh, somebody uh, that I knew well had been to a seminar or an audience or somewhere, some panel in... Um, 
was either Nebraska or Kansas, and and they they pass around slips uh, of the panel who who are the uh, best speaker you'd ever heard, and and two of those guys had my name down wow. because they had been in the audience at Toastmasters International Final. Uh-huh. And in fact, one of them may have been a judge at the panel. <laughs> and so Toastmasters, you know, mm-hmm. the way it, it pulls people together, uh-huh. just fascinating. Well, that's neat. And what, about what time was that? In the 60s? 62. 62, when you yeah. did that. Okay. 62. That was a long, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. One, I'm going to have to eat one of these cookies that Barb brought in here. But talking about Barb, um, you've mentioned her multiple times here, but when did you both meet? Okay. Barb went to Iowa State, and I left this out because Iowa State uh, had a television program. Ames, Iowa, on Iowa State's campus, was the first TV station in Iowa. So Barb wanted to go into television, (laughs) and she majored in home ec at the time. And she was the first woman to go on camera there because a lot of students participated. In it, and I remember Dad uh, buying a television set in in I don't know 45, 46, somewhere around that period, uh, and we put up a huge telephone pole in the backyard with an antenna on it because we could get Ames 80 miles away <laughs> at that time. No cable then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Barb never practiced. She worked the summers at a television station in St. Louis, but mm-hmm. but when we got married, she never practiced, so here Brenda picks up the uh-huh. TV part. And then, so we met at Iowa State, and she was a Pi-Fi, and after our first or second date, she told her roommate, she made a little note, sealed it, put it on the bulletin board, and she says, when something happens, she said, I'm going to open this and show it to you. And they dated it. And what she had written is, I'm going to be pinned to Bob Gart. <laughs> so I said, I said she, 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 she let me chase her until she caught me. <laughs> oh, so that was, mm-hmm. that was very interesting. Um, so... And then did you get married while you were still in college? Because she no, went with you no, into we, the Marines. No, we got married right after college. Right after college. Right, okay. right uh, before I uh, went to the Marine Corps. Okay. Yeah, because I had a uh, about a month in there uh, uh-huh. before I had to report mm-hmm. at Quantico. Quantico was fascinating because that's where they trained their FBI guys. you know, And they had a building on campus. Uh-huh. And I could see these guys. It was, I mean, hot, swelling, humid. But they were out there with their coat and ties on on the front porch. I mean, they were FBI. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and then because there was a lag between uh, leaving uh, uh, basic officers and going to Lejeune, uh, 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 a fellow from uh, Evansville, Indiana, uh, we, we were both headed to uh, different schools, and so they had to do something with us on campus. Mm-hmm. And so they had us look and rewrite the enlisted men's test for promotion. Hmm. And I, I saw that new test, obviously saw the old test. I'll bet 80-90% of our questions were when we came up with. Wow. Because they said, you just came out of the boonies, yeah. the basic officers, and so write it for, you know, private to corporal, mm-hmm. corporal to sergeant. So uh, so we did. Yeah. And um, it was... Uh, uh, 
Marine Corps, Marine Corps was good for me, but I did not want to be a career officer. Mm -hmm. I, I yeah. learned that very quickly. Yeah, you wanted back out. So then, um, so obviously then you've told me about coming back this way. Now, when did you and Barb have Brenda and Brad? Well, Brad uh, was uh, 57, um, just before I got in the Marine Corps. Okay. You will, you will get a kick out of this. So we were under the care of the Naval Hospital. Mm -hmm. Barbara ended up with a private room because she was in a fire escape. <laughs> <laughs> and Brad's whole birth cost us $8.75. Wow. <laughs> so, so he really is a tar heel. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, and then... Um, uh, there's four years difference between the two. Uh, Brenda was born uh, when I was at Cummins, so I was under okay. Cummins Health Insurance okay. at the time. No. Uh, so. So Brad, Brad is older. Pardon? Brad is older. Oh, Brad is older. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. didn't know okay. that, but there is four years difference. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, how did your family influence your career? How did they? Did you? affect the career yeah did you have to well traveling so much or anything was that a problem or they go yeah, with you or well you have to remember barb's dad being in the um, st louis muni orchestra mm -hmm. by the way he was so clever there were big st louis fans mm -hmm. and so he attached a little rearview mirror on uh his let's say no a little hearing rearview mirror and a hearing aid People, what's the score, Al? He tuned in <laughs> while he was playing. Wow. Um, so Dad, for 90, 100 days during that summer, wasn't home till 11 or 12 at night. So mm -hmm. me not being home put the kids to bed didn't bother Barb. She was all, used to that. You know. mm -hmm. And she was very supportive. Mm -hmm. uh, Barb really uh, often takes more risks than I do mm -hmm. on things. So she was very supportive of it. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was, I really was talked into because I gave a speech to a um, uh, local Republican women's club, mm -hmm. and they thought I ought to run against Lee Hamilton because the title of my remarks were, 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 were principles, not politics. I, I, I did a lot of alliteration of my mm -hmm. speeches. And uh, they said, you really ought to run for office. Mm -hmm. you know, more I thought about it, why not? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, this was 68. Two years earlier, the local county chairman asked if I would run for the state house of representatives. And I was, oh, yeah, I think. Well, Lamoureux said, you do, I'm leaving. Well, he ended up leaving anyway, mm -hmm. a little later. Gene Lamoureux was my partner. Okay. So I didn't, I backed mm -hmm. out. And so then I, I was convinced I ran into, well, the reason I didn't think about politics Wait a minute, I grew up in Iowa. You know, I'm a Hawkeye for mm -hmm. or a Cyclone for heaven's yeah. sakes. You gotta be a Hoosier. You gotta be a Hoosier to run for mm -hmm. politics in Indiana. Mm -hmm. If you're not a Hoosier, you can't run. <laughs> oh so then after and I'm I'm getting a little off trail here, but but after I lost to Lee. Then I had to rebuild the build business. Mm -hmm. I was all by myself again, and and you know I even gave some of my clients away mm -hmm. at the time to other competitors. Mm -hmm. And 
that's it. I'm never doing that again. Well, the field guy for our campaign in Congress was uh, down here from Jeffersonville, New Albany, Steve Coons. He traveled with me all the time, had car washes here in town, and uh, after I lost, he became administrative assistant to Lieutenant Governor Fultz, Republican, when Ed Whitcomb was governor. And I was giving a speech in New Jersey, and Steve called me and he said, why don't you think about running for the state senate? Well, I don't know, Steve. You know, I was at a motel room before the speech. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I, well, they did not want the incumbent from Johnson County, Senator Jim Young, because he was going against things that Whitcomb and Fultz were for. Mm -hmm. Whitcomb and Fultz were very conservative. And I found out that Jim was a lot more moderate than I thought he was, which I thought, I think I am a moderate. Uh -huh. Okay. So, well, I'll think about it. So, yeah. So on the very last day, Steve is with me, and I'm walking up to the state house to file. Midnight's the filing day. Mm -hmm. Hortense Myers with UPI thought, oh, he's running for Congress again. <laughs> She met me at the door, I saw me coming in, saw me, at, and I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm going to file for another office or a tense. So I filed just before mm -hmm. it closed. Then I came back home and I'm saying, what have I done? I don't have a campaign chair, I don't have a treasurer, I don't have any organization whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So Costco, where Barb ended up after graduating, by the way, from Ivy Tech, Barb got her degree in graphic oh. arts and then worked uh, for Hamilton Costco, now Dorel, okay. uh, uh, baby seats, mm -hmm. car seats, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. uh, cradles, all that stuff. Yeah. She did all of their advertising oh, for them. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was really, got a national award, got a state award wow. uh, for her for her advertising officer. So I called the treasurer of, uh, of, of Costco, good friend. I said, Bob, I, I, I don't know. He said, he would be my treasurer. And so, you know, we got a campaign chair, and surreptitiously, uh, some people from Lieutenant Governor's office helped. Yeah. I remember I was so embarrassed. I'm driving up 31, and every single telephone pole from the north end of Franklin to the south end of Franklin had my poster on it. The Lieutenant Governor's folks had done it. And it was the slogan, we know and like Bob Garden. Mm -hmm. Well, because Jim Young had not paid attention to Bartholomew County, I kind of overwhelmed him here. Mm -hmm. And my goodwill left over from the congressional race mm -hmm. because I did beat Lee here in this county. Right. I think... Uh, it was a very close race overall, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. A very close yeah, race overall. Yeah, it really was. It, it, uh -huh. it was, uh, yeah, it was the closest race he had mm -hmm. uh, uh, until, um, uh, oh, Gene uh, over here in, in Batesville gave him a closer mm -hmm. one, a state senator. Anyway, um, so we put that together. Uh, he did beat me in Johnson County, in all fairness. Uh, at that time, I learned, by the way, because in my business office then, my administrative assistant would start answering the phone, good morning, Garden Associates, mm -hmm. Senator Garden's office. Clerk of the courts here told me, he said, uh-uh, Constitution said you're elected the day of that midnight. Of, of It's the only office mm -hmm. in our Constitution where there's no lag in between. You're either in or you're out. 
because of the Constitution for some reason. So we quit doing that <laughs> senator-elect business. Yeah. And um, so we, we raised the money. Uh, we won. Um, and so I'm going up there having no idea what I'm into. Mm -hmm. uh, the only the only thought I had is, well, wait a minute, I, read, I, I, I represent Senate District 41, doggone it. And so I'm, I'm that's that's my whole focus is representing this state. I mean, this this district in this uh -huh. state. Um, and so I kind of set myself apart mm -hmm. uh, from the caucus. Uh, caucus, uh, I think it was on opening day had a had a luncheon. Uh, I went to the state house cafeteria. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm 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 independent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Phil Gutman, who was pro tem at mm -hmm. the time said, uh, you know, uh, Senator Wilson, uh, former congressman from Bedford, uh, missed you, wondered why you, he said, you really need to attend those things. Mm -hmm. For some reason, Phil liked me. I did, ended up, well, I'm not going to say who I voted for because there was a contest mm -hmm. between Phil Goodman and Les Duvall out of Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. I think, I'm not sure Les is still living anyway. I can't figure it out. I'm, I'm not sure. He was one of my heroes, by the uh -huh. way. Uh, and, and they both had come down to see me. And it was a secret ballot. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to say how I was going to mm -hmm. vote. However, you pick a counter when you count the secret ballots. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, Senator Duvall picked me to be his counter. <laughs> To verify the mm -hmm. count, mm -hmm. <laughs> so Gutman knew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what had he, happened there? He knew that I didn't vote for him, <laughs> and so when the first two committee assignments, he put them out in two batches. When the first committee assignments came out, I was assigned to the affairs of Lake County. <laughs> well, I later on I I got better assignments as it went on, and for some reason, um, Phil liked me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really did, um, and I really had to appreciate what he did as pro tem. I mm -hmm. suppose I, I modeled myself after him. I'm, I'm not going to get into that until you're mm -hmm. ready to get into it. That's okay. Uh, you've got more questions. Yeah, we'll we'll get up there. Um, yeah. Well, just uh, one quick question. Um, you know, obviously, your family had been involved in the Republican Party. Um, but when you moved back here to Columbus and or Cummins and then your own um, business, did you become involved in the local Republican Party here, or did that not happen until yeah, I did. you ran? I did. I my first vote here when I came in, uh, I, I was registered Democrat, and that really never came up. It tried in the campaign for Congress, but uh -huh. it just kind of fizzled away. Yeah. You know, because I could point to Ronald Reagan and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I became chairman of the Young Republican uh, Party here. Okay. Then too, uh, and uh, and then I obviously changed registration. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I remember right, I think I really voted for more Republicans when I was a registered Democrat than, uh -huh. than I did for Democrats at the time. Uh, so yes. Well, at that point, too, what what did the Republican Party mean to you? What were the values that drew well, you to that party? Well, it was, it was small business. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know, identifying with it. Uh, there wasn't that much uh, philosophical reasoning behind mm -hmm. my switch to the party. There mm -hmm. really wasn't. Um, and, and uh, you know, maybe it went well, back to mom's mm -hmm. influence, because when I was in the Marine Corps, absentee ballots I got from mom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to send back to vote Republican, uh -huh. you know. Um, so uh, it, it, that must have been it. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't really know. There, there really weren't any philosophical principles that I saw. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I could say limited government. And, and when people would ask me that question, and it really wasn't that accurate, uh, what I made up was, well, I was a small businessman and I was subject to all the same regulations. Mm -hmm. Well, that was true, but yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a real factor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and, and, you know, Virtual Scheidt, uh, chairman of the party, uh, uh, a lot of good, good friends who were mm -hmm. Republican, mm -hmm. and so I did. Yeah, okay. Um, but I, I, the irony, had I known at the time when I ran against Jim Young, incumbent, you cannot beat incumbents in primaries. I learned out, I found out in 2006, you can beat incumbents in primaries <laughs> because uh -huh. I was the incumbent. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know at the time that you couldn't do that. Right, right. Well, well I, it was, it was uh, reaffirmed. <laughs> Many years later, but yeah, yeah. and and uh, part of the problem was Johnson County. Johnson County, ultra conservative county. Uh, uh, the the, the uh, what was it? Uh, Birch Society. The John Str Birch Society. Strong mm -hmm. chapter in Greenwood. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, people who withheld taxes, they weren't paying local taxes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really ultra, ultra conservative. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, in the 06, I just read the other day, in the 06 primary election, there was only 16% vote in Johnson County. Wow. <laughs> uh, and w we only carried two precincts. Mm -hmm. So whatever uh, I did, I know one of the things I did, um, I'm sorry to get you off tangent. Okay. I'm doing this to you, but one of the okay. things I did, the state had miscalculated uh, the property taxes that were owed in the city of Franklin. Mm -hmm. And the city of Franklin was suing. The mm -hmm. state made an error. Now, I, our, our attorneys, Senate attorneys always told me, we don't settle court cases. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I came in, I talked with the mayor. They really had a case before me. The state admitted, they made mm -hmm. an error. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And then I caught myself, wait a minute, there's a suit. I said, you have to withdraw the suit. And then we will convince them, you know. Mm -hmm. They did. They withdrew this, I think it's with prejudice, so they could refile it. Uh -huh. Uh, but it wasn't a lawsuit anymore, and so I can't remember if it was a bill that went through or what happened, but property taxes really jumped mm -hmm. in Franklin. Otherwise, Mayor was faced with laying off firefighters and police officers. Mm -hmm. She got beat then two years later mm -hmm. in her election. You knew, so yes. that, was, that was part of the problem. Yeah. No question. And then, 
uh, northwest uh, part of the county, White River Township, was in the district at that time. Neighbors got all upset because a woman was teaching piano lessons in her home. Mm -hmm. Well, our son Brad took piano lessons here in his home. Mm -hmm. I think Brenda did too, for heaven's sakes, you know. Well, the cars are parking all over, you know, and, and she's running a business. She's running a business where businesses aren't allowed. So, boy, I weighed in on that one, and I took her, and I supposedly got all the piano lesson teachers vote in the state. <laughs> but I think maybe that was a factor. Controversy, too. too. And then we had the whole issue of the uh, health insurance mm -hmm. for legislators. Mm -hmm. was not my issue. was never my issue. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I did not think it was going to pass. Uh, I did vote for it, as all other 50 senators voted for uh -huh. it. Um, but my friend Potch Wheeler was caucus chair. Potch Wheeler had severe diabetes, and he was one of the sponsors of the bill. Mm -hmm. Ironically, the two sponsors in the House, the two sponsors in the Senate, both won their next elections, mm -hmm. you know. But I'll get to it. But Potch came to me one day, and he said, Bob, I've got a real problem, because I assigned it to Joe Harrison's committee, who was our majority leader, who at one time opposed me for pro tem. Mm -hmm. uh, Larry Borst always said we had a deal. We never did have a deal. I just thought he would be a good majority leader. Anyway, um, I assigned it to his committee, and knowing Joe, it wasn't going to come out. I think Potch got to him, because Potch told apparently both of us he can't get his insulin shots. Medicaid, Medicare did not cover them at that time. Oh. And I think for, really for Potch, I voted for it. Mm -hmm. It was not my issue. I really didn't care. I could have had Ivy Tech insurance, yeah. but I didn't know if, and I never bothered to find out that Ivy, I, I didn't know if that insurance program included Columbus doctors mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know. So anyway, we kept it, we passed it. Uh, and then the two leaders had to agree on how to administer it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it, it was my idea before uh, it was in conference committee and before it uh, could come to the floor, it had to go through conference committee. Mm -hmm. And I chaired the, as rules chair the conference, I mean, anything in conference. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've got to have an employer. The House had named the secretary, the clerk of the House, Senate was going to be the secretary of the Senate. Wait a minute. They don't represent anybody. You don't know, they're yeah. elected. That, that is not, that's not fair to them. Mm -hmm. And they had to negotiate and do the administration. I said, it's got to be the speaker and it's got to be the pro tem. Yeah. And so... I had Richard Young, Democrat leader, introduce that amendment. Mm -hmm. Potch got all upset by it. And he said, does the Speaker of the House know this? I said, Potch, I just talked to him before the meeting, and yes, he has agreed to it. Mm -hmm. We held the vote, the darn amendment lost. And I said, I'm tabling the conference report until we can pass it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all of a sudden, the guy who was sponsored in the house had left. He he was back in the room, mm -hmm. you know, and he was telling me, and it, it passed unanimously. <laughs> so I set it up 
yeah. that we had to administer it. And at that time, okay, what's the copay? At that time, no state employee had a copay. Mm -hmm. State was picking up the whole insurance wow. premiums. And so we agreed, the speaker then, John Gregg and I mm -hmm. agreed that it would go with whatever the copay was. It was 0% for a year or two. Mm -hmm. Well, then it crept up and it got bigger and bigger. Yeah. I, I mean, I pay, I think, what, five or six, about 6,000 a year now mm -hmm. for it, you know. Uh, but it, we, they get free health insurance forever because it went beyond retirement. Yeah. You know, uh, to cover potch. Yeah. So that I know that was had to be used mm -hmm. against me. Mm -hmm. That uh, so uh, all those things added up. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely come back to some of those here in a, in a bit I'm too. I'm sorry. No, but it's okay. They sort of, the stories feed onto each other. That's how it goes. So, um, well, one thing I wanted to ask, and I know that. Um, You've talked about this in other interviews and things, but when I was reading up on you running against Lee Hamilton, I found a lot of interesting quotes related to yeah. it, but you had a very different take on women's rights um, in the 60s and 70s, and I think some of the other Republican Party did. So I'm just curious about where did your views on women's rights come in, um, develop, I guess? Two things. One, with Steve Cohn's AA to Lieutenant Governor Fultz, hey, I would like to have an appointment up there, you know. And I mm -hmm. mean, uh, this was uh, after I'd lost a lead. Yeah. So they appointed the Civil Rights Commission. Mm -hmm. I was chair of the Civil Rights became later chair of the Civil Rights mm -hmm. Committee. And um, that was one of the first bills I sponsored then was uh, no discrimination on account of sex. Mm -hmm. Some of the Republicans in my caucus went nuts you know, and well, we we did get a pass, uh, and so that led into the Equal Rights Amendment. Wait a minute, I'm the one that sponsored adding sex to this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I got I got to support the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. So that that was part of it. The other part was daughter Brenda. Why shouldn't she have the same equal opportunity as anybody else? <laughs> I mean, come on, folk. Oh my goodness. When we got to the Equal Rights Amendment, people who had supported me against Jim Lunt thought really had lost all my senses. I mean, we had long conversations. They were angry. They were Phyllis Schlafly fans, fans from Illinois. I got invited to hear Phyllis Schlafly, by the way. I sat in the audience. I got introduced to her. <laughs> I was the sponsor of the bill. Well, we lost the first time around. Mm -hmm. uh, the second time it became an issue in Johnson County. And so the only promise I made, okay, I won't sponsor it again, uh, but I will vote for it. Mm -hmm. And so apparently that satisfied. And I was caucus chair at the time that it finally passed. We were the last state to pass mm -hmm. it, 35th Street. And it, it uh, passed. And let's see, where was I going with this thought? Um, Three of us from the Republican caucus voted for it. Mm -hmm. Two of them lost in the next election. <laughs> I was the only one that survived. Wow. And on top of that, I was caucus chair at the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and our leadership, Chip Edwards, was very opposed to the Equal Rights Amendment. And I would get arguments. Well, you know, men and women, they'll have to share the same bathroom. And I said, I, gosh, have you ever flown on a commercial air flight? 
<laughs> our local driver's license has a unisex bathroom. For heaven's sakes. Well, you want your daughter fighting in combat? No, don't want our son either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they just, I mean, it was, it was vicious. And uh, that's when I think that was one of the yeah that was one of the issues. Uh, we got a call and I got my uh, uh, administrative assistant on the line. This woman called from uh, Bartholomew County and wanted me to know at the hearing uh, there would be uh, women up in the gallery with pistols in their purses. <laughs> Whoa! We we and that, at that same time. Our collie had been hit by a car out here, damaged her hip, and she would always had to be lying here for. And, and I'm going through this big emotional, and I said, I'm never going through this again, because I'd usually I'd stay overnight up there, but I I, I would come home mm -hmm. with, with 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 Misty, and and I said, I'm I'm not doing this. I'm I'm not gonna get this emotional uh -huh. about things because I I I spoke in front of this crowd on the Equal Rights Amendment, and I said, you know, and I submit to you that in Israel, uh, women are in the military, and less than a week the war was over. <laughs> That's a really good fact to bring up, I think, right? <laughs> so, so, uh, so that really changed me. Mm -hmm. Now, well, everybody's gone or deceased uh, on the Civil Rights Commission. Mm -hmm. uh, you know who one of the... the uh, well, opponents weren't exactly the word, non-supporters, but one group was of adding sex to the Civil Rights Code, Civil Rights Commission. Really? Because they thought they would just be overwhelmed uh, by complaints and charges, and with the small staff couldn't handle it <laughs> and would be ineffective. Couldn't. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yes. Instead <laughs> of just doing the right thing, they just felt like they couldn't handle yeah, it, so do just, nothing. Yeah, they weren't. Wow. They really weren't opposed to doing it. It was just the workload would be enormous. Wow. <laughs> wow. I just find. So anyway, it was very logical to, uh, for me that that we follow through with equal rights amendment. Mm -hmm. that was one of the first bills I sponsored, by the way. Okay. Well, and can I ask you one question? Because I'm. I'm Interested in that. So you said you met Phyllis Schlafly. One, what was that like? Um, I'm sorry. You said you met Phyllis Schlafly? Yes. What was that like? Oh, they, they introduced me as, as the sponsor of the bill, you know. And I just, and she gave me, she gave an interesting speech. She did. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, we kidded around a little bit, not much. And, and uh, yeah. Now, was Joan Gubbins? Jo Joan Gubbins took me to the luncheon. <laughs> I wonder. There had to be a connection there somehow. Yeah, yeah. And and the women really did a good. I mean, we got we got baked bread on our desks in the Senate, you know, and and little desserts. And, uh, it was. Uh, was that from the Stop ERA groups that were doing that? Uh, from Joan Gubbins' group. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Okay. It really was. Uh, now I know that <laughs> you ended up not voting for the ERA when it came oh, back. Oh, I did. Yes. So what what was the scenario oh, okay. behind that? Okay. Well, one of my one of my things that uh, when I was elected or nominated for pro tem and elected mm -hmm. pro tem, we are going to follow the rules, mm -hmm. you know. Period. Uh, we, uh, I mean, you, you I suppose you, you can always change the rules, but no, we are going to follow the rules, 
And the rules that Congress set up is that it was a time period that you had to ratify the amendment. Mm -hmm. So this was my rationale. They're, they're changing the rules. You don't change the rules of volleyball in the middle of the game, mm -hmm. and they ch they change the rules after it had been defeated, mm -hmm. then to do it. And I said that is not right, uh, and 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 that just became a principle, mm -hmm. uh, and so I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 I think I, I misunderstood a little bit what I was voting for because I guess. In the the new rules, then you were going to have an unlimited time. Mm. But to me, it was just this was the issue. It was voted uh -huh. up or down, and uh, yeah, I did not vote for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Justin Walls picks that up. <laughs> yes. It, yes. But, but he never asked me about it. He didn't. No. Very interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Um, well. Do you want to have lunch, by the way? It's up to you. I know we're probably running. We can, I know long. Barb's got a hair appointment at one, but we can we can go out to eat if you like an IHOP. Sure. Yeah, sure. Or something. Okay. I don't know if Barb would want to go with mm -hmm. us, but yeah, uh, whatever you're I comfortable. I am talking with. an awfully lot. Well, here. I've asked an awful lot of questions, and I have pages it, of them. I know. So. I, I I hope it's helpful. Yes, this I is so interesting. Right. I'm learning so By much. By the way, one of these things here is. Um, it's either the Bureau or Society. Mm -hmm. uh, you can turn that off. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just again state for the record that I'm Michelle O'Marino. We're <clears throat> continuing the interview with Robert Garten. Still Tuesday, September 25th, uh, 2018. And so we'll just pick up where we left off here okay. before lunch. Um, I think you had been telling me that... Uh, well, let me just rephrase the question. What did you think as you were walking into the state house that first day? Oh, that first day, I thought, I can't remember now the number of people, uh, 120,000, 116,000, whatever it was. Uh, boy, I'm, I'm carrying them. I mean, yeah. you know, that they're sending me here. I'm not carrying them there, but they're expecting things from me. And, mm -hmm. and so, that, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and, and our state capitol is an impressive building. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a good feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, well, how did you learn the ins and outs of state government? Uh, you just you just listen and observe mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, you um, obviously need to read the rule book, and but more important, you need to read the Constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, to find out the limits of your responsibilities and mm -hmm. what are your major responsibilities, and then you have people that that you admire. You watch them. Mm -hmm. and, well, who were maybe some of your early political mentors that you were watching and trying to learn well, from? Well, let's see. The two, two guys that, first of all, really impressed me. Um, I had been elected in November, so I was now a senator, so I was invited 
uh, down to Vincennes because they were inviting uh, members of the legislature down to tour the campus. And I met two guys walking along one of the campus paths. Uh, one was uh, State Senator Bob Orr, and the other was uh, State Senator uh, uh, Jim, um, oh boy, oh boy, uh, Gardner, um, uh, up around Rensselaer area. And uh, boy, I was impressed by these two guys. I thought, that, wow. And then I was very impressed by Les Duvall, uh, who was from Indianapolis, uh, very strict on following the rule book, uh, very objective, uh, very capable senator. Uh, those were those were folks I mm-hmm. uh, listened and watched to a lot. And then whatever committees I served on, I, I would just observe how the chair ran the committee. Sure. So. Okay. Um, well, you just said there was 120,000 people in your district whatever or whatever that, that number is. How did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? Well, it's almost an osmosis. You know, that's why you, or why I went to a lot of fish fries, of course, is to, to keep your presence in front of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, uh, you welcome the opportunity uh, to hear what they're talking about. Uh, you solicit it. Uh, our, our caucus, we would send out questionnaires. Uh, and then uh, the results would be marked by your intern, and you'd review those. Uh, and uh, uh, phone calls and letters th- mm-hmm. that you would get. And, and somehow it's very interesting to me because there is a feel that, that you pick up. Uh, you go to, you know, the forage um, uh, fairs mm-hmm. in your district, uh, and then the so-called third houses. Uh, the uh, head of the local chamber, uh, both here and in in uh, Johnson County, I, I started those third houses. They did not have them. I'm not familiar with that term. Oh, a third what is house that? is sponsored usually by the local chamber of commerce. Okay. And it's just a a session, uh, often weekly, sometimes monthly, uh, where uh, people uh, gather early in the morning um, uh, on a Monday uh, before sessions start. Okay and meet locally, uh-huh. your local area, and anybody's invited. Uh, they pay a, a, a few bucks uh, for mm-hmm. the donuts and the coffee, yeah. or in some cases they find sponsors for them. And uh, Here locally, we would get 50 to 60 uh, people showing up, and I'd say, man, what are we doing? All these people are that interested yeah. <laughs> in it. Uh, but in, um, in Franklin, then, we started uh, one in Franklin and one in Greenwood, and uh, they met, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think was it every other week or maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. It was just different. They're, yeah. they're, they're all a little bit different. Some senators call them Cracker Barrel sessions, mm-hmm. uh, but most of us call them third house, uh, like it is the third house yeah. or influence. Uh-huh. Uh, and you, you have people uh, that often are very involved in organizations, you know, mm-hmm. that lobby the legislature. Sure. So they're, they're raising questions. Um, and uh, it, it's a it's a real uh, a real opportunity for feedback. Mm-hmm. The questions you get. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. And it's usually not just you yourself that are having it. It's wh- whatever legislatures are representing that area. Yeah. Okay. So you get both both political sides. Sure. So then, 
how did you communicate or interact with constituents? Did you send out mailers? Did you just go to these yeah. fish fries and things too? Yeah, we have a caucus service as we call it, okay. and they, they send out uh, the, the surveys that I mentioned, and they also send out press releases for mm -hmm. you, uh, and, and both caucuses have those. Okay. Um, and um, uh, when our daughter uh, intern uh, for us. Uh, when she was at Ball State University, she interned a session. Uh, she also did uh, a lot of radio feeds, uh, going around contacting senators. Mm -hmm. And then, and she knew how radio worked because uh, during the summer she had worked at one of the uh, local radio stations. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah. Please sit that way. I think that maybe you already answered this, but I'll ask again. What was the first bill you sponsored? I'm trying to remember. Uh, well, and I can look that up as well. Yeah, but. but I thought maybe it was the one adding sex to the Civil yeah. Rights Code. I'm okay. not positive that that was the first bill. It's at least the first memorable one. That yeah, it was the first <laughs> memorable one. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, could you tell me a little bit about the regular interaction amongst the General Assembly members? What was it like being on the floor with everybody? Well, it was always a learning experience, uh, talking with your seatmate or other people around. And there's one thing that people come to view the legislature and they'll, they'll often see people just wandering around the floor while sessions <laughs> continuing. And one thing you learn up there, you learn to be in a conversation and then hear what's going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. I, I can't explain it, but it occurs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, your committee members then, you know, you're meeting with them sometimes outside of the committee just mm -hmm. to discuss things. Um, and you learn who you can trust and who you kind of question. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one thing that uh, really is almost a sacred rule at the legislature, and it's not always followed, uh, is uh, never break your word. Uh, don't do that. Uh, because I was very naive, and uh, Senator Charlie Bosma uh, was chair of a committee, and through that committee came a change in the way we selected uh, nominees the state ticket level, um, and also the lieutenant governor and the governor running mm -hmm. together, mm -hmm. not separately, and um, and going uh, to a large extent then to primaries, mm -hmm. uh, and I told Charlie, well, yeah, I I I believe in primaries, mm -hmm. and then I thought, well, part of my role is to sit and listen to debate. Mm -hmm. And I thought the arguments against it were pretty solid, so mm -hmm. I did not vote for it. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and he said, Bob, you told me you were for it. And I was just so embarrassed because don't let your mind be changed if you've given your word. Yeah. You go back and say, my mind has been changed. Right, right. <laughs> so I learned that lesson hard. And yeah. Charlie Bosman and I were very, very good friends. Mm -hmm. So... Okay. His his son, by the way, is Speaker of the House now. Right, now, yeah. We talked about this earlier, but by the time you're now in your sort of first nine or so years before you come become Speaker, had you become... 
Had you adopted any more philosophical ideas about the Republican Party or was it still just, I'm a Republican, this is, <laughs> you know? Well, that, that's, uh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, of course, I had been caucus chair. Um, what was that for um, six years, four years? I was caucus chair. I was there 36 years. Mm -hmm. That's right. I was caucus chair for four. I was majority caucus chair. And when we lost uh, one of the elections, I was minority caucus chair. Mm -hmm. And then I was pro tem for, for 26 of those years. Mm -hmm. And uh, after, after I had won, uh, I called uh, then former State Senator Phil Gutman, who had been President Pro Tem, mm -hmm. just to ask him for advice. And uh, this, this really struck home with me. He said, well, first of all, remember, you only have so many bullets in your gun. So be very judicious when you fire them. <laughs> in other words, don't hog the microphone. Mm -hmm. Don't, you know, just mm -hmm. don't use your influence that often. It's always there. Mm -hmm. And second, he said, read every bill. I said, Phil, you're kidding me. Yeah. He said, read every bill. Well, there may be five to six hundred Senate bills and maybe half that number coming from the House. And I'm thinking, how, how do you read? Best advice I ever had. Because you knew then if you saw changes out of committees, you knew what the base bill was. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned, wait a minute, because I started out reading every page of every bill. Mm -hmm. No, no, all you have to do is re review the changes mm -hmm. that are being made in the law. Mm -hmm. And they show up in bold type, what, this is new, or strikethroughs, you're eliminating laws. Yeah. So you don't have to read every single page mm -hmm. and you can skip through them. And I got so I could I could read them and digest them very quickly. Uh -huh. And and then that helped me uh, in uh, making assignments to bills because the pro tem, in my case, mm -hmm. defined the committee jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. Now, they may have changed that to some staff doing it now. Mm -hmm. I'm not positive. Uh, and so you try to be consistent in assigning the same subject matter to the same committee. Right. Uh, and uh, there will be times when I'm reading maybe bill, uh, Senate Bill 350, and by the way, they start with Senate Bill 1, mm -hmm. and then they're numbered consecutively. Uh, House starts with four numbers, uh, uh, 11,001. Mm -hmm. uh, so you always know a three-digit mm -hmm. bill is a Senate bill. And so you're... You're reading along, and I think I've read this language before. What committee did I assign that to? Now, yeah. I want to be consistent. Because I did have a chair one time that said, Bob, I don't understand. I thought I had the same subject matter, but you assigned the bill differently, and I simply forgot. Oh. <laughs> so my, uh, my administrative assistant, uh, uh, Garner Price, would was take the digest or the summary of the bill and take sentences from it and remind me yeah. uh, whenever she handed me uh, the whole new mm -hmm. Senate bill list. So that was really handy Yeah. because I would always go back to Garner. I said, Garner, find out where I signed a similar bill. Yeah. And I don't even know that similar bill's number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, that was, that was, so to, to be consistent and to be fair. Mm -hmm. And then I, I kind of had an internal rule. 
which people caught on to very quickly, I'm afraid. Uh, I never asked for a senator's vote uh, that was against their conscience mm -hmm. or was against their constituents. Mm -hmm. Well, after a while, <laughs> they, they knew, well, this is one of my constituents. They knew their constituents better than I did. Right. And I, I, I could never... Uh, never ask anybody to, to change their their conscience. Take take for instance Senator Morris Mills, um, who was Quaker. Mm -hmm. uh, Senate Senator Mills did not believe in the death penalty. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Mills was a very strong law and order person, but he would never vote. Don't even ask him to vote yeah. for it because uh, with his conscience and ethics, he wasn't going to do it. Yeah. So I didn't. <laughs> Probably a smart move. Why, why, why waste your time yeah, on that? Yeah, right. Uh, so, uh, and you, um, you know, you, you, uh, people criticize, well, lobbyists put on all these receptions that you mm -hmm. go to. Well, it's very informal. Mm -hmm. And often people, as close as uh, Bartholomew and Johnson County are to the state capitol, they would come up from home yeah. to, if they belong to the organization. And and uh, you, you talk with senators on the other side very easily, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a nice, uh, uh, hospitable environment, mm -hmm. and, and you learn to uh, you learn to 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 know people, and that was one of the advices I gave to my successor, uh, you know, uh, learn the interests of individual senators. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And. Uh, in fact, I gave him a whole list of things. Uh, I don't know that he followed any yeah. of them. <laughs> but you gave them. But I did. Um, and and, uh, and you, you just you establish friendships mm -hmm. uh, and mutual respect. Uh, well, that kind of leads to my next question of what, what were the interactions like between the majority and minority parties? Well, I thought they were pretty good. Now, you talk to some minority people, uh, they would disagree with you. But um, particularly when Frank O'Bannon was a minority leader mm -hmm. in the Senate, uh, Frank would lean across the aisle and say, I, I'm going to take you on today. Uh, so, you know, yeah. uh, be ready to respond. Or sometimes I'd yeah. point to somebody else to respond. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so they, they, they usually, uh, I, I thought they were pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, and... And after all, they they represent approximately the same number of people you do, even though they're in the minority, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and they, they they have good ideas too. Yeah. You know. So, uh, I I I really thought we got along uh, uh, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Not as polarized now, particularly as it is at the uh, uh, congressional level. Mm -hmm. uh, and. and and most bills had bipartisan sponsorship. Mm -hmm. uh, you learned that quickly because you needed help in the other party's caucus. Yeah. You know, whoever is your co-sponsor. Uh, so um, th there's a lot more cooperation mm -hmm. between the parties, uh, at least when I was there mm -hmm. at the state level, than there appears to be at the congressional level. Yeah. Did that change during the course of your time there or would you say that was pretty consistent that was just pretty consistent yeah, I think. yeah. okay that, it was consistent yeah they've got good ideas too uh-huh yeah well what was the relationship like between seatmates or what was your relationship like with your seatmates? oh my relationship was was wonderful one was uh, jack ryan who was a very close friend mm -hmm. of uh, phil goodman's he was an attorney in indianapolis 
And then for um, uh, several years, uh, my uh, seatmate uh, was a Pete Swisher mm -hmm. uh, from Mooresville, mm -hmm. Indiana. And uh, he was of the family of the Swisher cigars <laughs> that developed those. And Pete, at one time, uh, was a doorkeeper for the Senate. And then uh, the, the district opened up and he ran for the Senate and was elected. That's and funny. He, was, he was just a delightful guy, mm -hmm. a great sense of humor. Uh, and even, even when I was making what he thought were really wrong votes, uh, hey, that didn't bother him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, you, you talk with your seatmate quite a bit. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, when I became pro tem, then I moved up to the front row. And the majority leader is somebody that I appoint, uh, and for some reason, and I've never understood uh, why in the uh, in the Senate Republican caucus, the majority leader is appointed by the president pro tem. In other caucuses, it's a, it's elected Amongst. by the caucus. Okay. And I don't know why we did it the way we did it, but we continue to do it that mm -hmm. way, and it's very important because you want to appoint somebody you entrust implicitly mm -hmm. uh, because there's nothing worse than the majority leader and the pro tem getting into big arguments right about things so right. can you briefly walk me through the process of generating a bill what did that look like from when you had an idea to the finished product pretty simple Really well, it's it's complicated, but it's simple. the the, the process is simple. You go to a legislative services agency, which is a nonpartisan group that mm -hmm. serves all four caucuses, both legislators, both houses of the legislature, and you say you have this idea uh, for this bill. Uh, perhaps if you've got legal background, you you've submitted a draft. Uh, maybe somebody who wants the bill has submitted a draft for you, mm -hmm. but but the draft is always written by a legislative services agency. Uh, and and uh, we also use parlance, well, I, I wrote this bill. Well, you didn't yeah. in most cases. You did, well, because it didn't, because it had to be cleared by legislative services mm -hmm. uh, on it. And then you could review it, you could ask for changes before you file it. But once you file it, then the only way to change that was through the amendment process. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, uh, I can't remember now how many are in a legislative services agency, uh, some of 30, 40 staff mm -hmm. members. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and as I say, they're nonpartisan. And so there are times where, well, you know that analyst, uh, that analyst is a, a Democrat. No, I don't know that analyst is a Democrat, and I don't want to know mm -hmm. what party they belong to. Right. <laughs> because that's not the way they are, that's not the way they function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. How did you then, so now you have a bill, how did you garner support for that legislation? How did you assure that it was going to get passed? Which one? Any one that I sponsored? Yeah, yeah, just anyone. Oh. What would you do? We would be in caucus and it would come in, uh, come up, uh, if the author wanted it to mm -hmm. come up, and you could you could listen and hear reactions to it. Uh, and you, you're just talking for me. You've got lunches and, mm -hmm. and dinners, and as I say, those uh, receptions, awful receptions sponsored by lobbyists, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, 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 and you still talk shop, uh, and you, you, get, you get a feel for it after a while. Mm -hmm. And one thing 
I, I think it's very important for the Pro 10, uh, as well as the caucus chair, is know how to count votes. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I, I always thought I was a pretty good vote counter. Uh, so how I, did you do that? How did you, what's... Well, it, it's an osmosis, if you will. It's just in talking with them or you hear them express uh, comments in caucus. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, on the whole idea of uh, public uh, having access and, and transparency, uh, but the caucuses are closed. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very interesting to me that Dick Cardwell, who was head of the state Hoosier State Press Association, yes, even newspapers have lobbyists mm -hmm. uh, with their association. Dick Cardwell told me one time that I don't want to go anywhere uh, where the public can't go. And still so far in Indiana, caucuses are closed. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some legislators that have opened their caucuses. Hmm. I talk with those legislators, it says it takes forever to find out a vote count mm -hmm. uh, because you just don't get the same uh, feeling free of expression mm -hmm. of your reaction to something uh, when the press is sitting there yeah, I bet. <laughs> covering it. So, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's just one of those things that... Um, uh, well, you, you you get to know them. I mean, after all, they're friends mm -hmm. and they're colleagues. And uh, you can uh, there are times you can even anticipate reaction. And there are other times when I would use uh, very close friends to that senator mm -hmm. uh, to see if he or she could influence the vote. Uh -huh. uh, of of uh, uh, and then they'd let me know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and, and you rely you rely a lot on your caucus chair. Uh, you rely on your majority leader. Um, yeah. Okay. See, so you started. You were elected in seventy, so you would have started in seventy one, I believe. In the, the in, session started, the session but started. I was actually. Elected. Yeah, official. In Election 70. day that November okay. of 70. So um, that was right at the time when they were switching from annual or bi biennial to annual sessions, yes, right? Yes, indeed. What was the response like to that, oh, that shift? Was, that was, uh, Phil Goodman was, uh, was really a leader on that. He, he pushed it very hard and he was opposed by the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. They did not want us meeting every year for things, but it was just plain common sense. Why, why were they resistant to it? Uh, they didn't trust the legislature. I don't know yeah. why it was, but the, you know, why, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're supposed to always two sessions, when the legislature's in session and when it's not in session, you yeah. know, because then we can deal directly with departments mm -hmm. and agencies. Uh, and yeah, it was a, it was one, a brilliant move on, on Phil's part mm -hmm. because you know you would pass the budget and then and then you weren't there uh, to amend it times change i mean you have fires in penitentiaries you know you have you, know, you have storms that destroy buildings and and there are times you just can't anticipate everything mm -hmm. so by moving it to the to the um, even numbered years uh, you could amend the budget mm -hmm. uh, and so yeah, it, it was to start a new budget. 
It right. was to amend the one they mm -hmm. had, and so that simplified it, and it really was a, a, a brilliant idea. It was, uh, I, uh, I liked it. And, well, with the chamber, too, it was going to cost more, mm -hmm. because, you know, you, you, you draw your salary during session, mm -hmm. not year-round. Right. So. Um, Did that change the way or when legislation was proposed. So I guess what I mean by that, did you focus on the budget for the first session and then the second session was other matters? Oh or yeah, absolutely. Other, and that's, it opened up, it wasn't, there wasn't anything that was confined. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing that um, when I was pro tem later in my term is that I can find, I, I limited the number of bills that could be filed. Um, uh, I think I, I think the limit was ten, something like that, uh, for each senator. Well, that's five hundred bills for heaven's sake. Uh, and uh, I, I think the House may have done the same thing, uh, but uh, yeah. Otherwise, there's no limit uh, mm -hmm. for the first half of that session. And the other, the other thing, they would the two years would count as a single session then. So, okay. yeah, it was a good, it was really a good move. Uh, Phil did a lot of good things. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, he did. So as you were running for, well, that first U.S. congressional seat, and then as you got into the state senate, um, you know, it's sort of a hotbed time, 1960s, 1970s in America. Yeah. Were national issues affecting the Indiana legislature? Or well, were you probably the biggest one was Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. uh, that mm -hmm. was a national issue. Um, I frankly, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, uh, the, obviously, there, there had to be some effect. Sure. Some of the, but but I, I really don't remember. Okay. Um, and, and by the way, um, one of my first caucuses I attended was whether or not uh, committee meetings should be open to the public. Now, we talked a little bit about this earlier. And prior to that, they were not. It was closed doors. You got committee reports afterwards. By the way, you could read committee reports, and particularly if you, if you had read the bill, you, you knew changes that were being made in committee. And so we took a vote in caucus uh, how many are in favor of uh, open committee meetings? I raised my hand. I looked around. I think I was the only one with my hand up <laughs> because I didn't have the experience of some of these. Because one of the arguments, can you imagine, committee meetings are very small unless you hold a committee on the session floor. Mm -hmm. They're very small rooms. Can you imagine a, a lobbyist sitting right behind you and whispering in your ear, you know, as you're sitting in committees and and uh, they just, uh, they, I mean, and, and tradition, uh, they just didn't think that was right. Well, okay, we were against it. We weren't going to do it. Well, uh, a fellow named Doc Bone was Speaker of the House, and they decided to open their committee meetings. <laughs> we had another vote in caucus, <laughs> and I think it passed unanimously. <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah. Well, I guess, so you mentioned Bowen. Well, let's jump into property taxes here for a minute. Um, what involvement did you have with that? Well, I was involved there, uh, again, because of, of uh, Senator Gutman. He asked me, 
because it was a close vote in mm -hmm. the Senate. Uh, and he asked me to um, get uh, Senator Leo Sullivan's vote. Now, Leo Sullivan uh, suffered from polio. Mm -hmm. He was in a wheelchair, and often when we were in caucus, uh, he would be stretched out on a table. Uh, he was not in, in good health. And his, uh, his wife was uh, uh, not all that enthused uh, about, about the bill. She, was, she would sit right behind him on the floor on visitor seats area there. Uh, and so Phil asked if I would, uh, if I would get his vote. And uh, okay, it was to pass the Senate. We knew it would go to conference and, and uh, be changed in conference. And Charlie Bosma, I thought, was going to vote for it because he was a very good friend of Speaker Bowen's. And Charlie was up green, then saw it was not going to pass, and he went to red. And Leo Sullivan, who sat uh, just a couple of seats down from me in the back row mm -hmm. of the Senate at that time, Leo then switched his vote from yes to no. And I said, Charlie, you're confusing Leo. <laughs> Go back. He said, Bob, it's not going to pass. I said, yes, but it will with Leo's vote. <laughs> and so he went back, and so then Leo went back and changed it. And I believe it did pass by one vote, I remember. Uh, so, yeah, and, and some of the governor's uh, uh, staff people were on the floor, and they saw what I'd done. I, I didn't get a whole lot of credit for it. I was okay. I didn't care. I, yeah. I just thought, hey, uh, this is, this is, because property tax uh, were pretty high at mm -hmm. that time, and um, that was one of the things that we campaigned on. You know, we're going to, we're going to change property taxes. Mm -hmm. And uh, by enacting the local option in income tax, that reduced property taxes mm -hmm. even further. So, yeah, okay. that was kind of interesting. By the way, when the uh, when the whole bill passed, we had a meeting at uh, Governor uh, Bowen's. Uh, let's see, Governor. Yeah, yeah, Governor Bowen was Bowen. That's when it passed, or was he still Speaker? Anyway, we had a meeting. I remember it was the governor's residence. And I think idea, he was governor when it passed. Yeah, the, it, the idea was um, how much property tax reduction do we want? Oh, uh, 15%? Yeah, that's not a lot. 25%? Uh, that's pretty heavy. That's, 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 that's whoa. We compromised at 20%. <laughs> you got How did we get there? I often wondered that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, Doc, uh, that was, that was uh, for years, the Democrats tried to defeat it mm -hmm. or change it mm -hmm. and were never successful until they finally came around and realized it was extremely popular. Yeah. It really was. Funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those were the... Those were the days. Yeah. Well, I'm sure before you became pro Tim and assigned committees, you served on a lot of different committees. Which ones were the most important to you? I made a decision I was not going to assign myself to a mm -hmm. committee, except chair the rules committee, mm -hmm. because that governs a lot of the process. Mm -hmm. The reason 
because as I, I, I had served under three pro temps previously, and you were always waiting for them to get to the meeting, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or not making the meeting, mm -hmm. or for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, first of all, I don't have to be on those committees. I don't, I don't have to sit there to listen to the testimony. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm familiar with the bill. I've read it. Right. Uh, so I would I would not mm -hmm. uh, be on any committee. The second decision that I made was uh, I would not sponsor bills anymore uh, because I figured out quickly I sponsor a bill it passes it goes to the house and there is always tension between the house mm -hmm. and the Senate. Hey, this is one of the pro temps bill. Mm -hmm. uh, let's let's fool around with it. I was not going to get into that game. <laughs> so when I was asked, and sometimes it really put me on the spot to sponsor a bill, I would find sponsors for for them. For instance, up here at the Edinburgh Mall, uh, a, a special law had to be created to uh, create a governance for the mall mm -hmm. because Bartholomew County wanted it to claim it. Of course, Johnson County wanted to claim it. And... Uh, so I got Joe Corcoran to sponsor, but I went to the committee with him and testified uh -huh. for it. But, but, uh, and I missed that part of the legislature mm -hmm. because it's fun to take a bill all the way through. It's uh -huh. challenging. It's at times frustrating. But I said, I'm just not going to play the game with the House. <laughs> so I didn't. Yeah. Well, before you were pro tem, did you chair any key committees that you Oh, I probably enjoyed. did. I just can't remember yeah, what they it's were. it's been a while. I can look that up, too, yeah. very easily. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to... I have that information okay. back in the books. Yeah. But, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because in the oral history interview you did with the Historical Society, you talked a lot about the Centennial Project. Um, but I did want to ask one question. Um, so I know you were heavily involved in, in creating the committee that eventually hired Dr. Walsh to produce the book. Um, and so I just wanted to ask why it was important to initiate such a project. Why is it important for us to have a history of the uh, a legislature? A resolution was introduced in the House uh, to create an interim study committee because we were approaching, as close as we could determine, the 100th session. Uh -huh. of the Indiana General Assembly, because the Civil War, they were in and out a lot, yeah. <laughs> if you count those sessions or not. And Phil Goodman then appointed me to chair that committee. And one of the many issues, how do we, how do we commemorate it? And the idea of a, of a history mm -hmm. came up. And we discussed that pro and con. And then the fascinating aspect it came down, uh, it was a tie vote, and John Mutz voted for, who was a state senator at that time, voted for the history. So the history was created, as I remember, by a single vote yeah. in that committee. And then it became a bill, uh, and I sponsored the bill. And so I guess in Phil's mind, when it came around to who chairs, mm -hmm. you know, the, the committee in the interim, it was me. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's when John cast it, because I think that committee um, comprised of uh, uh, different professors. It was one of the two yeah. that uh, that voted, and uh, it it went forward. It it lived by a single vote. Yeah, <laughs> An and important then, vote. And then we hired a historian, 
and it was it was close. Uh, uh, Justin Waltz was one of the candidates, and we decided to go with the Jim Broussard. And a couple of years went by, and there really wasn't any product yet. Mm -hmm. And I remember Professor York Wilburn reviewing what little we had in front of it, and he said, you know, Jim, he said, my mother always said, pudding was really improved when you put a lot of raisins in it. He says, we need more raisins, you know, more, more example, I mean, make it live, lively. And nothing was really happening with it, and so we finally had to ask Jim to leave the project. Mm -hmm. So I contacted uh, Justin Walsh again, <laughs> And we hired him, mm -hmm. and it started to move. Yeah. So it fortunately, but it took longer than it should have. Mm -hmm. It's a big project. But I, well, not only the history, but then the two volumes of biographical sketches mm -hmm. of every legislator ever served. Yeah. What were their hobbies? You know, where did they live? Mm -hmm. uh, what district did they represent? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was like a little uh, condensed who's who. Yeah. For every single legislator. Yeah. Uh, I've forgotten how many hundreds yeah, uh, a lot. Yeah. they were listed, but it, but it did take two volumes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm, very proud, I'm very proud of that work. Yeah, that it was a big undertaking for sure and a good sort of legacy to leave behind. And then we, we authorized hiring a staff, and of course mm -hmm. that then the money had to be in the budget right. to hire the staff. So. Okay. Um, How did you come then to be pro tem of the Senate? How what? How did you get to be pro tem? What was the process like? Well, I was caucus chair, and I went in and told Chip Edwards, who was pro tem, that I'm going to stick my toe in the water. He was not happy. At that time, he was under FBI investigation. He was not happy at all, and... Uh, he uh, he said, well, this is the first time a district attorney is going to determine who's pro tem. Uh, because it, it was the local district attorney that was prosecuting the case. Uh, so so that was that was a little ugly. Uh, before that, uh, Gene Snowden had called me, Senator Snowden, and said, uh, it doesn't look good for Chip. He says, why don't you run for pro tem? Well... Gene, I will. If you'll support me, I will. <laughs> so, so we started, and uh, it ended up there were five of us, the five final candidates for the position. Well, that summer, uh, I had gone around the state, visited senators in their homes, Republican senators, obviously, uh, because they're the ones that nominated. They were the majority. And, uh, you know, sometimes at work, wherever, lunches, uh, uh, phone calls, uh, checking up. And, and at, initially there were six of us running. And Senator Harrison uh, was a, a, a very strong uh, uh, candidate. Mm -hmm. And I told him one day, because I never let my list out, who, how many votes I had, and Joe said, I don't know. He said, I, I think I'm pretty strong. And I said, Joe, I don't think so. Uh, well, Senator Corcoran down in Seymour, 
said, Joe, Senator Corcoran's with me. Ha! I said, Joe, eye to eye, Senator Corcoran told me, <laughs> because I would never share my list with anybody who yeah. was forming for me. So Joe went home, talked to his wife, uh, and in the meantime we had talked, and he said, well, he said, uh, okay, if, if uh, one of us stays, one of us goes, I'll make you majority leader. I don't want to be majority leader, Joe. I don't. Oh, why not? I said, I want to be caucus chair. I don't want to be majority leader. So when I appointed Joe majority leader, uh, Senator Larry Bohr said we had a deal. Uh -huh. We never had a deal. Uh -huh. <laughs> we did discuss it, but it was never confirmed. Mm -hmm. I just thought Joe was the best person for mm -hmm. it at the time. So uh, I, I always had my vote count. I would confirm my vote count repeatedly. And uh, I remember the, uh, the day of the uh, election, uh, we met at state headquarters, Republican headquarters, Indianapolis. Uh, Dick Harris, who was one of uh, the opponents, saw me at the Columbia Club Legislature, where I had stayed overnight, expecting Snowden to be there to go over all the votes, and mm -hmm. Snowden never showed up that night <laughs> until the meeting. Uh, but at the elevator, Dick Harris said, you have nine votes. I said, oh, Dick. He said, you have nine votes. I knew I had more than twice that many. Mm -hmm. I was close to, very close to 20 votes at mm -hmm. the time, which I ended up having. And I thought, oh, I, I just feel sorry about this. And um, then Les Duvall decided he might want to run. And Charlie Bosma was with Les, both from Indianapolis. He was with me if Les didn't run. Mm -hmm. And so, in the caucus meeting, headed by the state chair of the Republican Party, uh, it was said, well, anybody can stand up and just declare. And I looked across the table at a fellow senator who said, Robert's rules apply. And so he challenged it. He said, you've got to have a motion, you've got to have a second. Mm -hmm. And Les apparently didn't have a second, <laughs> so Charlie—I mean, he didn't—he dropped out. Yeah. So that took care of that. So Charlie was with me that time. Uh, I always give Charlie credit for yeah. for uh, making me pro tem. And then a Ralph Potesta from Northwest Indiana uh, didn't have the votes. Uh, Jack Guy was uh, almost a surrogate for uh, Chip Edwards. Mm -hmm. They were very close friends, both attorneys, uh, and he was involved in it. And of course, Larry Borst. Mm -hmm. Well, at that time, you just had to have the majority, and when we hit 20 votes, it was Jim Abraham uh, that called for Robert's Rules of Order. Uh, it was either Jim or Joe Harrison. When we, when we hit the magic number 25, we suspended the vote, because I had it. Yeah. Really bothered Larry Boris, because it never showed that he had seven or eight votes, I think, at yeah. the time. He was, he was pretty irritated at that. I found out later because they told me uh, exactly who had how many votes. Yeah. And uh, uh, so uh, th that, that was what happened at that, at that time. But I had, I'd, I'd, I'd gone around the state, and, and I'd be at the state house uh, at, at, at night sometimes, and um, I, I would walk out ready to go back home and I'd see the light off in the Senate Finance Office 
And I said, I know Larry Boris is looking for votes. <laughs> I'd go back to the yeah. office and make more calls. <laughs> uh, but one of the charges against me, I was too liberal. Um, and uh, in fact, I think it was the Indianapolis Chamber, uh, the first, uh, my first year, I was rated along with the Senate Democrat as the most liberal <laughs> re uh, legislator in the Senate. And I thought, well, boy, that's a surprise yeah. to me. You know, I just think it's common sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's funny. Well, I think I've read a couple of places too. You were known for walking around with your cigar. Is that right? No, pipe. 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 Okay. Yeah. And, um, in fact, we had a little area behind the Senate chambers where visitors could come in. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people go back and smoke cigarettes there, uh -huh. you know. And it, it did not smell very good. But <laughs> being a pipe smoker, I didn't notice it yeah. that much. In fact, you could smoke on the floor at that time even. But mm -hmm. visitors could be back there. And um, then it came to the point, I, got, I went back there one day, I said, this smells awful. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I said, okay, this we are we are banning smoking on the floor. Well, the uh, Richard Young, the Democrat leader, sitting across the aisle from me, said, I smoke a pipe and I'm really going to miss it. He said, and I told him, I said, Richard, both of us are going to miss it. <laughs> so, so we put the ban in, uh, even walking around the work walls. Uh, there would be no smoking, but you could still smoke back in the visitors mm -hmm. area, and finally we cut that out yeah. even. Uh, That's funny. And and when Richard uh, Young did not run again, and smoking was banned on the floor, uh, and one of the last session days, uh, I worked it out with the lieutenant governor uh, that uh, I would not preside, or I would start presiding, and I would call Richard up to give him a chance to preside that he would never ever have <laughs> again. <laughs> and uh, and had, his wife was there, I told her what I was going to do. He was from Northwest Indiana. Mm -hmm. she, she came down for the little ceremony and um, I had her pack his pipe <laughs> and had her lit, light it. Yeah. And I said, and you even smoke your pipe. <laughs> Not only preside, but smoke your pipe. pipe. Yeah, so That's those funny. were the kind of relationships we had mm -hmm. where we could kid back and forth yeah. with legislators. and yeah. That's funny. Um, well, obviously... By the way, oh. when you appoint committee chairs and you appoint the Republican members, and I always allowed, with a couple of exceptions, for the Democrats to appoint their own to committees, mm -hmm. uh, you, in my approach, you let the chair run the committee. After all, you appointed that person. Mm -hmm. You you should not be chairing the committee. Mm -hmm. And so I made made a principle: no matter what came out of committees, I was supporting that committee chair. Mm -hmm. I was not gonna. I was not going to fault them. I might try to get an amendment change <laughs> or something, but that right. uh, that was that was one of the rules in. Mm -hmm. uh, informal rules that I followed. Well, that actually leads right into my next question. Um, what approach did you take to the pro-Tim position, particularly given that Gutman and Edwards had gotten in trouble? How uh, did you approach it? I, I decided 
that we were going to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, because there was a conference committee report that came out. This is a long story that banned the firemen on trains. And in conference committee report, um, it was somehow it was changed. Maybe the conductor was, not, I, I can't remember, but the report mm -hmm. was, and it irritated me, so I did not vote for it. And I even turned to the reporter for the Louisville Courier-Journal, and by the way, press always had access to the Senate floor. And I said, principle prevails. I voted against it. Um, so, when I looked at one bill that came through, I, I realized after, after the session was over, this bill had five different subject matters. The Constitution I mean, one was an odometer reading, one was, I mean, I mean, I mean, they didn't even relate, one even close. Whoa, that the odometer readers had to be accurate. I think there might have been something in there for mentally retarded, I, I, I mean, solid waste rules. I, I said, no, we're, we are now going to follow the Constitution, which says one subject matter per bill, and I had that added to the rules then. We will uh, adhere to Article so and so in the Constitution, and so that's where germaneness came in, and I was oh the House disliked that, because lo some lobbyists, really good lobbyists, would wait until conference committee and then insert a whole bunch of things in conference committee that they knew they couldn't get through, mm -hmm. but people would have to vote for that conference committee once mm -hmm. it came out because of some things that it had in it. Mm -hmm even the things that they didn't like uh, were in it. And so that was not fair to the process. Mm -hmm. Is that also what they call stripping a bill? Or what? is that different? What? Stripping a bill? Shipping, stripping? Is that no. different? Bill stripping, we, uh, we outlawed. Okay. Uh, because I realized, wait a minute, county chair can change this bill. After I've assigned it to a committee, that might be a whole different subject matter. Mm -hmm. So you could strip a bill, um, with approval of the Rules Committee, but it had to be noted on the, the daily calendar. This is a special bill. This has been stripped. The language has been changed. Okay. But it had to come out of the Rules Committee okay. uh, to do it. So we eliminated that practice. Okay. Yeah. We, we restored a lot of integrity to the, pre right. to the process. And thing. so did you feel like that was important because of what had happened before you were pro oh, yeah. Yeah, because on that, uh, on that, uh, uh, I think it was the uh, eliminating the the uh, the fireman. Mm -hmm. That's what got Senator Edwards, Senator Gutman, uh, Senator um, Jim uh, Gardner in trouble. They were placed on a retainer by the railroad lobbyist. <laughs> Wasn't that much money? I think maybe it was 500 a month or something, mm -hmm. year-round, on retainer. And Phil didn't need it. I think they did it for Chip Edwards. That's my opinion. I mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. And it would have been okay for Phil if he had run it through the law firm, mm -hmm. but he didn't. <laughs> because lawyers have a right to retainers. Right. You know, you can't ask them to give up their practice. Right. So... 
that's where it all started. Mm -hmm. And let me go on a side trail because they tapped Chip Edwards' uh, phone at the Columbia Club. That's how they caught him. And that's how they got Phil, and that's how they got Jim Gardner. Okay, so I was very aware. In fact, occasionally before a session started, I would have our phones checked mm -hmm. to see if they were tapped. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I was very careful, even conversations on the telephone. Mm -hmm. Uh, on it uh, because I'm, I just I talk with people like it. Uh, my phone may be tapped. Yeah. So we had an issue come up about the uh, superintendent of public instruction, Nate Negley. Negley had used some campaign funds for his Columbia Club dues for personal expenses. You know, oh boy. So Senator Corcoran, strong supporter of mine from um, Jackson County, Senator Haitian from Shelby County. Mm -hmm came into the office one day, and they are going to start a resolution to impeach Senator, <laughs> Superintendent of Public uh -huh. Instruction, Negley. That gets to the floor, that is going to pass. I think, oh my God, oh my gosh. What, well, at that time, Steve Coons, my campaign field manager when I ran for Congress, was working with, with Negley. And I called, I, I, I told Joe and, and, and um, uh, Hessian, uh, give me 24 hours, please give me 24 hours. Went down to see the governor, I, I saw Steve Coons, I said, he's got to resign. I said, otherwise it's going to come to the floor and it is going to pass. Mm -hmm. He ended up resigning, fortunately. Uh, however, what I had forgotten, little clause in the Constitution, impeachment has to start in the House. <laughs> so, not the Senate, I got locked in. Yeah. So anyway, we're in there with, with Hessian and Corcoran, and I'm saying, just just give me some time. No, we got, no, no, we got to move now, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I would argue here, I would argue there, and, and Joe Corcoran, being Joe Corcoran, said, you know, he said, what we're doing right now is a conspiracy. He said, we could be prosecuted. He said, it's a conspiracy and it is wrong. And I just pointed around the office and I said, Joe, FBI has already heard it. <laughs> so <laughs> he laughed. That broke the tension. Yeah. So they gave me the 24 hours. Yeah. And uh, by that afternoon, uh, Negley, and it was a... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you've given hints about this, too, but how would you describe your leadership style? I don't know. That's a very good question. I know there's all these classifications of leadership style, and I, and I don't know. I, I just tried to... I, I wanted to be fair, and I wanted to be consistent, and I wanted mutual respect, uh, you know, established. And let's see here if... if uh, you might want to turn that off. Uh, give me it. a chance to look. Okay, uh, I guess I guess my style. I, I had uh, a dozen rules that I tried to follow, mm -hmm. and one is I, I learn to listen and know how and when to, to lead. Uh, the other is to learn self-interest and motivation of individual senators, uh, so you know if you, in the, the old trite saying where they're coming from, if you will. Um, and I said, listen to learn, anticipate problems, and develop options for solutions, 
was part of my, I, and I would always try to think ahead of what was going to happen next uh, mm -hmm. on a particular issue or how will the Senate react. And as I say, I, I thought I was a good vote counter. Uh, earn the trust and confidence and respect of your senators. Um, and, uh, and strive to be fair and consistent. Know the rules and enforce them evenly. And how I enforce the germane rule, I would have our session attorneys come in and give me arguments for and against why this is, is germane or mm -hmm. not germane. Mm -hmm. And then I, they would, I would make the decision mm -hmm. on, on what to do with it. Because I'm not a lawyer. Right. Uh, and main, I wanted to maintain the integrity of the legislative process and ethical behavior and uh, recognize the ramifications of precedence affecting future decisions. Because if you ever uh, uh, go beyond a rule, now you basically informally have created a new rule. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a precedent you don't want to do. Uh, and be flexible. Know when you made a, made a mistake, admit it. And I did that on the floor a couple of times, correct it quickly and apologize if yeah. necessary. And I did. I, a, a senator got very upset with me because I uh, adjourned the session <laughs> early because IU was playing Kentucky in basketball <laughs> and they important. had a bus for legislators. IU did. And so I wanted to make sure they would get on that bus. So I adjourned it early and he came to me and... Uh, he was he was very upset because he had a uh, an abortion bill that he said it would take minutes and I knew it would take a long time and I said can't it, you know it, it, no senator it is it, it, not good and then he flippantly said well you're in charge and then I said and don't you forget it next couple of days I apologized yeah. on the floor <laughs> Uh, I said a senator corrected me, and I, I, I made a mistake, and I apologized for it. Mm -hmm. That was very, very rude on my part. But he, he got to me, and I reacted. Yeah. Uh, keep a sense of humor, balance perspective, and practice patience and self-discipline <laughs> daily. <laughs> and then protect the interests of the general public. Pursue positive public policy and create a positive image of the state senate so mm -hmm. if you will if that's a style select good committee chairs and let them chair their committee mm -hmm. and finally always remember senators elect the president pro tempore and not vice versa <laughs> it's an important way to look at that probably so yeah. those are my okay <laughs> rules I think that explains a lot in how you approach the position and yeah, how you it, um, ruled. Uh, oh, and, and the other thing I did, oh, this is very important, uh, because we had a little procedure. Uh, senators would file bills, and I say they would file them mm -hmm. numerically, right? except for Senate Bill 1. And even before me, you could hold that out and say, you know, I just hadn't read it and assigned it yet. Uh -huh. and, and that was kind of a key bill. For, for the Senate, uh -huh. <laughs> Senate Bill 1. So, so, okay, senators would come in and fill out cards like that uh, with uh, uh, a few words on the subject matter, what it was, and then their committee preference. And if I said I checked okay, or I checked, I, I crossed out their committee preference and wrote in the committee. Mm -hmm. That was <laughs> the process for it. Uh -huh. And so I would look through, I'd read these bills, and then trying to be consistent, um, with uh, 
the right subject matter and the right committee, mm -hmm. there were times I felt I had to disagree. Whenever I disagreed with the senator, I sent them a memo uh, that I dictate to Garner. Mm -hmm. She would type up and send it, and and I said, if you question, let's discuss. You know, or mm -hmm. or, or if you think I'm wrong, mm -hmm. let's discuss it. All mm -hmm. and. And I, rarely did I have that happen, mm -hmm. but I thought that's the way to keep trust. Right. You know, because because it would always kind of bother me. I first couple of years, I mean, I don't know what committees have what jurisdiction, so I'd fill out the dumb card, and all of a sudden be assigned to another committee. Well, why? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, so and I would do that with the Democrats as well mm -hmm. if, when they filed separate bills. Right. You know, if uh, if you think I'm wrong. Tell me. And, and there's a chance they might have, they might convince me mm -hmm. of this language really is the controlling language, mm -hmm. you know, that I missed. So that was one of the styles yeah. that I used. And that's the way I kept personal contact going with them. And it's good to have that communication too, right? That yeah. you're not just sending the yeah. card and that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And because you want to you wanna know. Yeah. You know? Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they... Uh, they escaped. One time, this is immodest, but one time Phil Goopman, after I'd given a speech on, I may have been the Equal Rights Amendment, I don't know, uh, gave a speech on the floor, and uh, no, it was the property tax program. I spoke for it. And and Phil got up a little later and, and, and talked about some of my arguments, and he said, that was the most impressive speech by a freshman senator on this floor. <laughs> so. So I think, well, I'll write little notes to people yeah. <laughs> when they make good comments on the floor yeah, there you go. <laughs> and congratulate mm -hmm. them, particularly new senators, mm -hmm. you know. So I just, I, I constantly tried to keep in touch with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, like our caucus chairman, I mentioned Pa Schwieler, uh, up in northwestern Indiana. <clears throat> he, 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 I mean, we met, we met five days a week. He was a plumber and he needed Fridays. Uh, he was driving home one day, so he said, would always start this way, you're probably not going to like this idea. Uh, but he said, uh, why don't we come down to four days a week? Well, I said, well, Posh, we could, but, you know, committee meets on Friday, mm -hmm. all five days. He said, well, he said, why don't we set aside a day, maybe a Wednesday, all committee meeting days? Well, okay, so we did. Really a neat move. Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, I mean, people who had a three-day weekend, basically, lawyers, mm -hmm. you know, could practice a business, small business people. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, and, and that was all Potch's idea, yeah. how that started. Uh, and so... Yeah, that worked out. That improved the process. Mm -hmm. I, they still adhere to that. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other issue that I, <laughs> there was never a vote on. Boy, did I lose it big time. Though uh, when we were meeting on Fridays, uh, and this is when neckties were disappearing from men. Mm -hmm. You know, we were having casual mm -hmm. dress. I want to have casual dress on Fridays. You know, people going home. You know, wearing jeans, driving home. Why not? Holy cow, did I get hit? No, that's the image of the Senate. 
I mean, I thought women would love to wear jeans going home. No. <laughs> they were not in favor. No, no. So I had to back off that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. All right. Well, when you're talking about the going down to the four days, was it under your leadership too when the... Didn't the House and the Senate used to be on the same calendar? Yeah. And that got split up somehow? Or how did that work? Yeah. That was one of the better things we did. That's when we were limited to session days. That's right. That's what it was. That's what it was. And either House could call the other into session. Always had arguments with that. We needed more time, you know, for your bills or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, no, that was a good move. Mm -hmm. That really was. That, that took away that argument. And it took away the tension between the speaker and the president pro tem. Yeah. Too. Which was always there. Yeah, sure. No matter who was speaker. Um, what, were, what would you say was the most controversial legislative issues that came across when you were pro tem? The uh, one I was involved with was the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. That got emotional. Yeah. It really did. Uh, the property tax reduction program. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the fact that it passed the Senate by one vote. In fact, um, Senator Wilson from Bedford, uh, who was in Congress and got beat by Lee Hamilton, uh, came back home and ran for the Senate. Uh, we really needed his vote. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Senator Wilson disappeared. <laughs> and we had to put Bob Orr, Lieutenant Governor, had to put us in recess until we found Senator Earl Wilson because <laughs> we he was voting against it, but we needed his vote. If I remember right, he mm -hmm. was voting against it. it was, somehow I've got that confused, uh, but we needed Earl's presence yeah. and vote. And man, we didn't know what to do, so we stayed in an adjournment for about five hours through the lunch hour and so forth, and suddenly uh, Earl Wilson was back, <laughs> and we passed the property tax bill, and I, I asked Senator Wilson, I said, Senator, where were you? Oh, he said, I went over to the Veterans Hospital of visited a very close friend, found out he had died the week before. <laughs> so in other words, he wasn't going to tell me where he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I think said, so. he's going to get down there in those hills of Lawrence County and we'll never find him. No. <laughs> so that was a, yeah, that was pretty doggone mm -hmm. controversial. Um, yeah, for the Republicans, uh, adding sex to the Civil Rights Code mm -hmm. was, uh, was very controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, what else? What about gambling? Hmm? What about gambling legislation? Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. Mm -hmm. Oh, big time. Oh, thank you. Because I, I wanted to get into it when we were at that point. Uh, I, I just always had concerns about gambling. Larry Borst, who sponsored it, had no concern at all about casinos, but he really didn't want paramutual. Vice or wrong, wrong. No, he wanted the paramutual, not he the casinos. He wanted the paramutual. And a senator from Lake County said, well, Larry, if you amend the Constitution, because we lost a vote to the Supreme Court mm -hmm. when we passed the, uh, the casino bill. 
And he said, Larry, why don't you just go with Paramutual? And I said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Larry said one of the worst mistakes he ever made. Because even though his wife loved casinos, Eldoris, and, and Larry enjoyed them too, but, but watching horses race. He told me one time, he was a small animal vet, mm -hmm. told me if he had to do it, he would be a large animal vet. He just mm -hmm. loved large animals, mm -hmm. watching them run. Well, okay, now we're into a tax program, mm -hmm. getting near the end of the session, that um, Senator By wanted to tax soft drinks and water mm -hmm. and raise the tax on cigarettes. Republicans being Republicans said we didn't want to raise any taxes. Uh -huh. And so, uh, no, no, we weren't going to do that. Uh, no. Um, so Frank O'Bannon, I think remembering when Bob Orr kept the machine open, said, I'm holding this machine open, voting machine, until the votes change. Oh my. He held it open for almost five days. I mean, through the night. I was shocked because Frank, as I said, I got to take you on, Bob, like mm -hmm. Dennis Neary did. That I got to take you on today. He would tell me, he would tell me, was, here's where our caucus is on this. And I, could, I would believe him. He never mentioned to me. He says, we're in recess until the votes change. I went up to the railing before his podium. I said, Frank, we got to talk. And he says, nope, not leaving this podium. And I said, Frank, I said, we got to put a state trooper in charge, which is what we did way back on the property tax program when we all went to lunch. Mm -hmm. And and we go to office and you're talking. And, and so we went in there and we talked about it. And man, it was adamant. Mm -hmm. Holy cow! What what are we going to do now? Um, and we would stay late into the evenings, and it was just awful. Um, and I made the comment that you know Frank had to go to the bathroom. I was taking over. By the way, that's where President Pro Tempore came from. Did you know that? It's mm -hmm. a Latin term. Uh -huh. It means for the time being. Uh -huh. And it's in the Constitution. I didn't realize it was in the Constitution. In the absence of but the I, president, yeah, lieutenant okay. governor, senators may elect one of their own to fill in until the time being. <laughs> there you go. That's, uh -huh. Found that out from President of IU when he introduced <laughs> me one time. I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay, so we got a real problem. Uh, and Jim Lewis hadn't voted yet. Mm -hmm. He's a Democrat from the Jeffersonville area. Okay. We we would stay there. And I I told Senator Lysing, I said, well, when Frank has to go to the bathroom, I'm going to take over. And I went up to Frank, and I said, Frank, sometimes you got to go to the bathroom. I said, you know, and finally he says, he said, I need to go to the bathroom, but I'm not leaving this podium. I said, Frank, put the state trooper in charge. You and I both will go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did. And Gene Leisting afterwards always got all over him. You said, you know, I said, Gene, he's a human being. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 
This went on for over 40 hours. Oh my gosh. It was awful. Just awful. Well, I think it was a Friday morning. Joe Harris and I both stand at Columbia Club downtown Indianapolis. Joe says, you know, he said, um, I've been looking. We're now controlled our rules, if there's a question on rules, by Mason's manual. We were controlled mm -hmm. by Jefferson's manual. Mm -hmm. That's what I had to correct when yeah. I made a previous <laughs> right. tape. And the Secretary of the Senate, Carolyn Tinko, was president of the clerks and secretaries. She had worked on the committee. She might even have chaired it to change us to Mason's manuals. Mm -hmm. It was specifically designed for legislators. Mm -hmm. And we adopted it. Carolyn really said, we mm -hmm. need to do this. So we adopted it. That's And Joe said, you know, in Mason's manual, if the presiding officer frustrates the Senate, one of the senators can take over. <laughs> and so about 8.30, I think it was that morning, uh, I stood up and we had a reading clerk who was a lower level from the presiding officer. I'm giving you this detail because he's the one that could open the machine or close it. And so the president, uh, 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 principal secretary of the Senate stood by him and I, I told him, I said, this is not right. You're just a college student. Yeah. It's not right. And Carolyn will take over. Mm -hmm. And he said, nope, this is my job. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so I stood up and I announced to the Senate, you know, the Senate, the clerk will close the machine and tally. And I couldn't turn around and look at him because Frank was yelling in the microphone behind me, this Senate is still in recess. This Senate is still in recess. <laughs> and I said, uh, because you're always to say is everybody voted. Jim Lewis hadn't voted, so he never did get a vote yeah. on that because he's in cigarette territory. Mm -hmm. he, he didn't want that tax increase on cigarettes. So I ordered, ordered the machine closed. And then I knew I had to move on under our rules to the mm -hmm. next order of business or it would be challenged. Mm -hmm. And so I call for amendments. Frank is meantime yelling, we're in session, we're in session. People are, I mean, the press is up. I mean, it's chaos on the floor, just like this last session. I mean, it was just chaos. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, anybody have an amendment? <laughs> I knew I had to get an amendment. Uh -huh. So I looked at Senator Nugent, who sat beside, behind me on the floor, and I said, Senator Nugent, don't you have an amendment? He had an amendment on the casino gambling business that I didn't want. <laughs> so, so Johnny looked, and he said, oh, I said, he got up, he started talking, he got into three or four sentences, and I mean, the press is everywhere. I mean, I, I mean you, the noise level is enormous, and so I finally... Tell Johnny, I, now we had moved to additional business. I could not be challenged on taking it over. So I said, Johnny, cut it. We'll go to caucus <laughs> and discuss this. And that's what happened. Now, the follow-up on that, and I just learned this about a month ago, Representative Ralph Fuller from over at Martinsville, he was on the Senate floor looking, particularly he had a real interest in that issue. Mm -hmm. and, and he was observing, and he said, that was the most 
dramatic thing I had seen in government. <laughs> You're taking over. Uh -huh. He said, I said, what? <laughs> he said, it just was. <laughs> I bet. It was. And to Frank's credit, he had a speech in Columbus. Well, he's lieutenant governor. I'm going to go. He's governor at that time, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Lieutenant governor. It was to a, a union group. So I went. I'm in the audience, and he recognizes me. And he said, oh, Senator Garden's there. He said, you know, he said, I used to think that I ran the Senate, but I found out differently. <laughs> so he remembered. <laughs> and then, and then they had the 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 knowledge, if you will, or uh, the inspiration to write uh, the college magazine for the National Conference of State Legislators, a letter uh, from um, one of Frank O'Bannon's staff about the whole. Brouhaha, mm -hmm. and that uh, uh, Frank had called the recess, and then he had time to work things out, and make and gave credit for Frank. <laughs> I thought we ought to write a response. And I said, why write a response? This is, this is all neighborhood stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, forget it. Yeah. So, but he he took credit for really coming to a resolution. <laughs> uh huh. Right. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Sorry so, to go on so long. No, no. I, I, that was one of the things I'm, I thought about over lunch hour I wanted to talk to you about because that was that was a moment in time. I bet. That, that none of us who were on the floor that day or observing, I think, will ever forget. Mm -hmm. It was it was dramatic. And Johnny Newton's amendment then passed. <laughs> That sort of backfired later, for you, didn't it? <laughs> later, when you know we were back in session yeah. and on the schedule. Mm, 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 so, mm. how did the gambling legislation did it just gain momentum from the Republican caucus eventually? Yeah, yeah, it did, and then particularly uh, uh, with picking up the casinos, north northern Indiana. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody wanted a casino. Uh, southern Indiana, along the river, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and I, I just, uh, I, I just, I'd read too many books, not that many, but read books about gambling and, and who maybe years ago, maybe not now, but years ago controlled it, mm -hmm. you know, out in Vegas. And that just bothered me. Uh -huh. It just bothered me. Yeah. Uh, I just, and I, I even spoke against it on the floor. Uh, but hey. Yeah. It passed. It passed. So, Can you do? I mean, uh, and 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 the added revenue that came in. Yeah. Which has been going down. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, that was a. Uh, that was an interesting time. I bet it was. Yeah. I bet it was. And and it has, it has added, and and particularly the. Uh, the gate fees, where a percent of it went to the local communities, mm -hmm. you know, as I always, I always kidded, I never went down to Lawrenceburg and argued against gambling. Yeah, no, <laughs> probably didn't want to do that. Well, and uh, and then did you did you see recently Rod Ratliff? Mm -mm. Uh, he uh, he was selling encyclopedia. This this is not important. No. For, this, but he, he was selling encyclopedias door to door to farmers in Lafayette. This bill passed. 
he got some farmers together, raised some money, and they bid on one of the casinos. And they got it. Wow. They got the license. And not only that, he got the track over here at Shelbyville. Huh. And then the casino moved to Shelbyville. Mm -hmm. So he had all of them. And he just recently sold, I think it was for, I've got two figures, but last one I think it was $1.2 billion. <laughs> so you got to give the guy credit, yeah. you know, for, from where he started and what he did, but we were always on opposite sides yeah. of the fence. He really was. In fact, even one night I bought his dinner at the Columbia Club. <laughs> he, no, I'll buy, no, I said, you do that all the time. Yeah. You know, because he would, he would pick out tables, I'll buy their dinners. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I bought his dinner even one night. So funny. Well, now you've mentioned the Columbia Club several times. And I know that used to be a hotbed for where Republicans... The what? The Columbia Club. Oh, yeah. Did you stay there when yeah. you were in session? I didn't. I didn't I didn't for my first few years. But mm -hmm. when I, beca I, I became pro tem, I did. Okay. Uh, because I really... I stayed at different hotels around the South Park. I really needed to be close to the State House. Yeah. And, 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 and be where I could be easily reached and contacted. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I did. And then would you drive back on the weekends, or how did uh -huh. that work? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. What was your proudest moment as a legislator? Oh, there were several. I, th I think that writing that history. Mm -hmm. uh, very Because I, just as you, I really enjoy history. That, they were one of my favorite courses. Uh -huh. uh, I, I really enjoyed history. Uh, Another one was on the Bowen property tax uh, uh, package, and part of that package that had gone to conference committee was a sales tax on groceries. And I was appointed as an advisee to the conference committee, and I had introduced a bill there would not be sales tax on groceries. Didn't go anywhere gonna raise a lot of money you know very important and we got in the conference committee John Hart was chair of House Ways and Means Committee mm -hmm. and there must have been 10 12 of us in this meeting and John Hart came back to the sales tax on groceries which at that point was dead and he was insisting on it and Phil Gutman sitting next to him said we need one vote to pass this bill. And he said, Senator Garden will not vote for it if there's sales tax on groceries. I never said that. <laughs> I said, did I say that? <laughs> and John Hart looked down the table at me and said, so you're the culprit. <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> Phil made it up. <laughs> but that's how why you don't have sales tax on groceries now. Can you imagine sales tax, the, the price no. of groceries these days? Oof. And so, no, I, that, was, that, was a, that was a good moment for me. <laughs> Did so, you and Phil ever talk about that later? And uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, the, as I say, this is repeating, the, adding sex to the yeah. code. Um, those, those were always all proud moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I was very proud of myself. Um, because every bill that I introduced that I got through committee passed on the floor. I'm kind of proud of that. I, 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 so I, 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 so I, you know, 
I co-sponsored, when we were in the minority, uh, banning asbestos with Senator Bernie Bauer, father of Speaker Bauer. They both served at the same mm -hmm. time. And he had the bill, and we lost it. It was the first bill. I was co-sponsor of the bill, and that really kind of disappointed me mm -hmm. <laughs> that we lost that. Um, but another another proud moment was um, they were going to build. Um, let, me, let me have this straight. They were going to build a big reservoir over here in. Um, part of, uh, it might even been part of Johnson County. I represented uh, mm -hmm. both counties at the time, and it was a federal project. And the people in Hartsville were going to be flooded. <laughs> they, they were going to be wiped out. So, you know, I, I introduced something. I, I, I think I had that removed from the budget bill. I didn't introduce anything. And the, the uh, particularly from Jackson County, which flooded from lack of reservoir, um, he was pretty upset with me at the time. Mm -hmm. But that was a proud moment because Hartsville's still there. <laughs> still in existence. And homes aren't flooded. <laughs> well, that leads me to ask, what if the bill came before you and you had to put it into a committee? What if you... How did you kill a bill? Kill a bill? Well, I could always reassign a bill, which I, the only time I would do that is uh, if I talked to the sponsors about doing it mm -hmm. uh, on both sides of the aisle. Uh, or I could assign it to rules committee, even, even at, after it passed, uh, and, and control it from that standpoint. Uh, that's the only way I, I could really do mm -hmm. it. Did you have to do that often? Uh, no, not too often, mm -hmm. because it, it always bugged me. Uh, once it had cleared conference committee, there wasn't anything I could do mm -hmm. about it. So I proposed a rules change the next session, and we adopted it. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them thought that gave me too much authority, mm -hmm. you know. And I said, you know, I'll be judicious with it. I promised them I would, and apparently I had enough trust mm -hmm. that, uh, that, yes, you could stop conference reports. Mm -hmm. So... Or, or you stop them by sending them to to the rules yeah. committee. Uh, so that was a that was a, a, a proud moment helping Hartsville out of there. Mm -hmm. uh, another another proud moment. Uh, you lived at Princess Lakes, and uh, I got in the budget uh, the money mm -hmm. for that water tower uh -huh. there. Uh, that that was that was a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then around Atterbury, that awful awful road that was so rutted and gullied and uh, uh, Jack Mullendore represented mm -hmm. Jackson County in the House. Uh, we both got that money in the budget mm -hmm. uh, for it. Uh, and then I got, I got money in the budget for, um, uh, for Hartsville uh, for uh, decorating that little square area yeah. there. Uh, that was kind of, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and one, of my, one of my worst moments um, was I had money in there, more money for Hartsville. I think there was more money for the Hope Ball Diamonds because we got electric lights out there for it uh, in the budget bill, uh, and, and and several other things that 
uh, were very important, about a half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I got these stacks of these red postcards from teachers. We've got to have more money. We've got to have more money. And very critical. And the superintendent supporting them, sending, you know, those cards up. Mm -hmm. And I just, they stacked up on my desk. It was just, and finally, at the very last minute, I told Getchen Gutman, who was our budget analyst, I says, can you, can you change, and, and before we vote on this report, and, and change, and, 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 and take 500,000 and give it to the local school corporation? She mm -hmm. said, yeah. And then I kind of backed out. I said, oh, well, I can't remember. Let's save it was either 25,000 or 30,000. Mm -hmm. let's, let's save that for hope. Let's take, mm -hmm. you know, okay. And, and then fortunately, Jeff Linder had some money in, mm -hmm. so we could really improve that Hope Square. Mm -hmm. Okay, not designated for anything. It was up to the local superintendent mm -hmm. of our school system. They never used the money. I know what I was going to have the money for. It wasn't, uh, I, but I pulled it out and got some for Hope. Mm -hmm. You know, it was to to build a new. Uh, a veterans memorial facility mm -hmm. at the airport oh. to renovate it. Mm -hmm. That was a significant amount of money in yeah. there for that. So they didn't get the money. Mm. And I had told them it was there, it was, it was, and at the last minute it changed. And then a couple of years ago, they finally raised enough money that they could mm -hmm. renovate that building, uh, and and, and I, I really felt bad mm -hmm. about pulling the rug yeah. from underneath, it and and really basically giving in to informal lobbying techniques. Yeah, <laughs> they can be persuasive, certainly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I always said about lobbyists. I said, you know. Uh, do they have influence? You know, really well. Yeah, uh, but they also give you information that you may not have gleaned from the bill itself. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, and on top of that, uh, they don't elect me. Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> you know? uh, so, well, lobbyists have all this influence. I always denied it, rightly mm -hmm. or wrongly. What do you look? There's the, there were there were highlights and lowlights. Mm -hmm. That was. Probably the worst low light mm -hmm. that I've had. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the General Assembly? Sets the public policy for the state of Indiana. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a that's a trite answer, but it does. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's all of the state laws. It's uh, they do delegate to agencies the right to draw regulations, but the General Assembly can always change it by mm -hmm. law. Uh, so you know, uh, you want to you want to be married, you want to be divorced. Uh, it's the legislature that mm -hmm. <laughs> that approved the law. Yeah. Uh, that that governs us. Uh, so it it does set the, uh, the the public policy for the state. Yeah. What would you say is the most important job of the pro tem? Uh, good question. Keeping the integrity of the Senate, following the rules. To mm -hmm. me. Uh, that probably not the case. It's changed so much. Our, our, our state senate has changed so much mm -hmm. uh, since then. Well, that's twelve years ago since, right. I, since I've been there. But it really, uh, personalities are different. Mm -hmm. uh, it I, I always 
always treated or tried to treat both the family and the caucus as family. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all part of the family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, 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 it has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Okay. What does the public not know about the Indiana General Assembly or how it operates? Probably, probably don't fully understand or appreciate there is a process. And, and if you follow it, I mean, you are going to create transparency mm-hmm. uh, by itself because, I mean, you know, reporters are there in committee meetings now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're there on the floor. They have access to the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I will give credit to the press, by the way. Um, well, remind me of that. I'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, they, I mean, you're their representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know we had a case that I don't think I've mentioned. A fellow called me, a local member, citizen of Bartholomew mm-hmm. County. He was going blind. And there was this experimental surgery, but a very low income. And down in Texas, there was a hospital that did this surgery, mm-hmm. but he couldn't afford it. And Medicaid turned him down. Mm-hmm because, uh, or our version of Medicaid, mm-hmm. uh, because of his experimental surgery. So I weighed in, and I got approval for him to have that surgery, and he can see. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. that, those kinds of things you, you don't forget. Right. No, I bet uh, not. Yeah. Um, why were the open door and public access laws so important then for you? It just seems so logical yeah. to me. Uh, first of all, I, I chaired an interim study committee on the, on the open door, mm-hmm. and we passed mm-hmm. it. So I had a vested interest mm-hmm. in it. I, would, I chaired the committee. Uh, I think I may have passed it. One of the members of the interim study committee said, you'll never get that through. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, I guess who opposed it... Uh, like... Well, Franklin College, I don't think, deliberately opposed it, but religious-based institutions of higher education, mm. because they took scholarships, <laughs> public money, so they, well, found out that really wasn't the case. And, I mean, people just didn't want it to happen. Uh-huh. And if I, yeah, I did. It came through with one vote. Vote came on the floor. Uh, we were then in the minority. Uh, I was smart enough to ask Tom Teague, Democrat, mm-hmm. majority leader, to sponsor it, and then I would co-sponsor it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I figured if I sponsor it, <laughs> it's it, not gonna... it may not happen. Well, Tom got it through committee, got to the floor, and, and I'm looking up there, we need a vote. John Mutz, came, he had been out outside of the chamber, and he came into his desk, and I walked up and I said, I really need your vote on this, John. He said, well, what is it? I said, it, it's that open meetings bill. He said, oh, I believe in that. <laughs> we passed it. Got one, yeah. one vote. And then I wasn't involved in open records because I was pro mm-hmm. Tim by that time. Okay. And I didn't sponsor it, but Senator Ed Pease did. Okay. And I always supported Ed on mm-hmm. those bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very, uh, very... Very frustrating for some local officials, but mm-hmm. I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. 
Well, how did your legislative service affect your family life, just in terms of oh, your kids it, or being gone? Or? Yeah, it did. Being, being gone, uh, you know, uh, Barb raised the kids, if you will, uh, a lot, except, you know, it's only, it's only four months one year and three, two and a half another. Uh, you do have interim study committees and things like that, but it's not that demanding. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling anyway for speeches and recruiting. Sure. Um, so it, it really didn't, didn't affect uh, the family um, other than a joke that I made up uh, that uh, we were seated on the stage one day uh, with uh, daughter Brenda. She's sitting between Barbara and me. And uh, two years earlier, I'd lost for Congress, and now I won the election. And suddenly she became known around the neighborhood as Senator Garden's daughter. To her classmates, her friends, I'm Senator Garden's daughter. Mom overheard her one day and said, Brenda, your name is Brenda. You are not Senator Garden's daughter, and you remember that. Mayor came in from the wings, saw me, saw Barb, Walked up and said, you're Senator Garden's daughter, aren't you? Well, I thought so, but Mommy says no. <laughs> was, oh, it no. didn't happen. It was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, um. A anyway, it, uh, the only I mean, time it really affected me was when the collie got hit. You know, and I'm in the middle of the ERA. And, oh, by the way, um. Uh, local uh, police was was uh, was alerted on that. We had a, uh, uh, a uh, local sheriff's car at that time parked in our uh, in front of our driveway. Oh, really? Yeah, just to make sure Barb was protected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got that serious. Yeah. You know. Wow. During the ERA battles. Huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I, it was. It was it was not a nice time, and I, that's why I have a lot of empathy with this Professor Ford. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had to move out of their home. Yeah. In in uh, California, I think is where she's living because she's getting death threats. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah, it's sad. It's sad times. Uh, Another person called Minneapolis and uh, uh, threatened me over the phone. Mm -hmm. uh, we called the state troopers on him. That took care of that. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. I can't even remember the issue now. Yeah. Um, well, there's a question I was going to ask related to that when you were telling me that story. Um, oh, I know. When did you switch over to Ivy Tech? How did you get involved with working out of yes, Ivy Tech? Yes, Ivy Tech had been a client. Okay. Uh, I'd given some speeches to its board and so forth. And one day I mentioned to President Lampkin that if I ever left uh, my business, it would be with Ivy Tech. Uh, first of all, Barb had uh, gotten her second degree from mm -hmm. there and was chair of the board for a number of years, regional board. Mm -hmm. And okay, and my friend Harvey Poling, who's since deceased, Harvey was a chancellor here at uh, Columbus campus. Mm -hmm. A building is named for him. Uh, Harvey grew up in Bloomington. Uh, was just an outstanding individual. He and Lampkin built Ivy Tech. Mm -hmm. The two of them are very close friends. And so uh, Jerry called me one day and, uh, hey, how would you like to join our foundation? You know, uh, Chuck Harris, who had been head of LSA, Legislative Services mm -hmm. Agency, moved over to head up the foundation and, uh, and work for Chuck. 
And I said, Jerry, I just wouldn't be comfortable doing that. I'm in the Senate and going out and then raising money, you know, being pro tem. I'm not, I'm not. He said, okay. So then he said, okay, I want to beef up a couple of our in-house training programs. Uh, so he said, how about, uh, well, he said, first of all, you come in as my administrative assistant. And we had a, uh, a, a master's, uh, let's say we had a leadership academy and we we had a, an academy for master teachers and we've invited the the Purdue's the the IU's the, uh, to join on the teachers one mm -hmm. and so I was in charge then of that training uh, and uh, and then after the new president came in uh, he he didn't have any full appreciation mm -hmm. for me uh, I would. I, I just never got any comments from him, uh, because Jerry let me have an office in Columbus as well as up at, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, where they're located now, and we had a talk one day. And he said, "How long do you want to stay?" And I said, "I'd like to stay another year." Mm -hmm. He said, "Fine, go through one more cycle," and I did. In the meantime, Jerry had made me dean of professional development. And I retired as vice president of professional mm -hmm. development. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, I'd like to keep the title, and I'd like to keep my reporting line to you. And he said, fine. So we agreed amicably. And so um, after 15 years, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, uh, I retired. Mm -hmm. And um, um, Ivy Tech's an amazing institution. Mm -hmm. It really is just yeah. terrific. Okay. Um, well, now jumping back here briefly, and like I said, I just have a few more questions. I know I'm taking up a lot of your time today, but tell me about the 2006 election. What what do you think happened there? Uh, I lost the confidence of the voters in the district. I mean, that's how you stay elected. Mm -hmm. uh, and when, when I, I, I always said, now there's a difference between politics and, and, and corporations and business. Uh, corporations and business, you have to make a profit. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make a profit as a pop, as a politician, mm -hmm. but but you do have to be popular. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was a, it was an issue over abortion. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. As to what happened on that? Partly the well, right to life. That was, was back. Uh, that was pretty bad. Um, might as well get this on tape. But we're on the last day of the session. It's about uh, seven o'clock, and by law you can't go beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't reset the clock mm -hmm. uh, at all. And uh, you know, I don't know, eight o'clock, whatever it was, seven thirty o'clock. Uh, Senate Democrats went to caucus. We had all these bills left before us, including um, the daylight saving time issue, the highway toll road. We owed forty million dollars to the colleges and universities that we had withheld until we revenue picked mm -hmm. up. Uh, very important issues for one of our senators for bonding of a jail up, up in northern Indiana. Uh, there, I mean, there were just there were just a lot of issues out there that were were really critically important. Well, they go to caucus, and they don't come back. We don't have a quorum. Now, it finally hit me after about an hour, hour and a half. I said, they're not up there on that toll road. They're up there on that abortion bill. The abortion bill was drafted 
to comply almost word for word with the South Dakota abortion bill, which, ironically, the voters in South Dakota on an initiative and referendum repealed. <laughs> it was the most strict abortion bill in the country at the time. Well, why can't we have South Dakota's bill? Well, the senator uh, that took Steve Johnson's place that I mentioned, he was a lobbyist before he came to the Senate for the pro-life people. <laughs> okay? And I mean, we're getting, it's about 10.15 now, I think, and Richard came young, in order to come down, he said, we're not up there on the toll road. He said, we're up there on that abortion bill. And 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 their senator, uh, Allie Craycraft, mm -hmm. he signed the conference report. Allie was very pro-life, very strong. Okay. Oh, boy. I can, in a way, this is one of my proud moments, by the way, uh, because it was a terrible bill. And I, I, I really had convinced myself, you know, why not just go ahead and vote for it? It was, it was really a bad bill. Um, okay, we're up there on the abortion conference report. Richard, let's go back in the office and talk about it. Okay, left the floor. I said, Richard, we'll set priorities. Really? I said, yeah, we'll set priorities. I'll put in a motion with the bill numbers. The Senate will approve it. We'll set priorities. And we'll never get to it. He trusted me enough. He went back to his caucus. I guess they trusted me enough. Senator Vi Simpson was out of her mind with it. I mean, she really was angry. About uh, the bill itself. Oh, about the bill itself. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, they were all over Alley Craycraft. And so we came down. And so I put a, attorneys put a list together. We, we, you know, the budget bill, we had, to, we owed the universities, we, I mean, all of these things, I think it was the budget bill, the, all of, okay, so we would go through that, and once we worked through that list, then I put in a second motion, and I finally told uh, David Long, who was then our majority leader, uh, I, I said, David, go back and tell the senator we're, we're not going to get to it, and, and he was angry, I mean, you could just see, I mean, but I, I just couldn't go back and tell him I was a little bit cowardly on my part. And, and so my rationale is, wait a minute, I didn't do it, the Senate did. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't know what bills, I, I mean, I'd had 20 bills, at yeah. conference reports at a time, you know, uh -huh. I mean, really, in all fairness, for heaven's sakes. So we got through, and one of the Democrats was timing me. Uh, we finished up at one minute till midnight. Oh, one of the issues evolved was bringing our tax code up to date to comply with the federal tax code. So you didn't have to follow two separate mm -hmm. rules. Mm -hmm. Man, would have a lot of people been inconvenienced. You had to renew that every three or four or five years. And that was one of those hanging. Mm -hmm. That was the last one that we passed. And the Democrats were still doing a little filibustering. Now, in our state Senate, you can only filibuster for 30 minutes, and that's it. Uh, you can't go back again unless the Senate gives you permission. So we don't have filibustering. You can't stop that way, but you can't go to caucus and, and hold things. And uh, 
all of a sudden, the Democrats kept talking, and I'm looking at the clock behind me, and I'm saying, we're running out of time. We've got to get this tax bill through. So I walked up the aisle. I said, it's over. It's over. We're done. We're f we, can't, we can't do it. And I remember they looked at me quizzically and, what, what? I said, it's over. We can't get to the last one that we really need. Oh, they stopped talking. <laughs> and we voted, and we passed it. Senate Democrat, as I say, was, 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 was timing me one minute till midnight. I put in the motion to adjourn sine die. <laughs> so that was, in a way, I look back, that was a proud moment. So then, believe it or not, one of the years I ran, I was endorsed by the pro-choice and pro-life. <laughs> yeah. I guess in fair, I don't know what it was. And, and I'd always had the pro-life endorsement. Mm -hmm. uh, and I voted for some bills. Well, for instance, uh, the, 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 okay, you've got to have your parents' commission, permission for an abortion. I said, well, for heaven's sakes, you know, you have a tonsillectomy, you've got to have your parents' permission. Mm -hmm. I didn't see anything really wrong with that. Well, yeah, but, you know, some f real rift in families. Mm -hmm. and, Okay. Well, I voted for the bill anyway, and and uh, there's uh, you know a 48-hour notice that the doctors. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Uh, but anyway, I I really Barb didn't particularly like. I I, I had a 93% pro-life voting record <laughs> that session. <Yeah. laughs> With this were... conference report still hanging. Yeah. Uh, but I but I did, mm -hmm. and in fact they even made a mistake. Uh, they had me voting, uh, a guy even called uh, uh, my administrative assistant wanting to know why I voted against uh, uh, or, or voted for tax, taxpayers uh, funding abortions. She said he didn't. We had to send him the vote count because uh, uh, there, was, there were um, uh, uh, evil phone calls, mm. surveys being made about me all over the country. They started out of Virginia and they, up, out west. Uh, uh, the right to work people uh, didn't want me back again because I was always stopping that bill for the unions. You can't escape your legisl your education, you know, just yeah. for labor relations. <laughs> uh -huh. And so uh, we we never got to that bill. So um, I um, I met with the pro-life people up in the caucus room later, and um, they, they they were convinced I had the authority to approve bills to be handed down. Speaker did up to that point. I didn't. I mean, if your time was up for calling it, it I mean, you mm -hmm. could call it. Uh, but I could reassign it before that happened, as mm -hmm. I mentioned. So, I mean, it was obvious they, they just weren't believing me. And mm -hmm. I just got, I got frustrated with them. I, I said, you know, we had all of these other bills. I said, when that conference committee cleared, oh, I said, by the way, I appointed the conferees almost immediately. Mm -hmm. They waited five days to come back with the report. Even over the weekend, they didn't meet. And, and so they came back, and the minute it, uh, it was filed, I assigned it to the rules committee, which the rules that I had to do. Mm -hmm. And I said, within an hour uh, that on that last day, I held a conference, I held a, a rules meeting. And we voted it out, and I voted it for it to go to the floor, you know. And and so they said, well, 
my opponent's wife sent out a letter. I held up the abortion bill at every opportunity. I did not, mm -hmm. obviously, but I did learn that in caucus, some of our uh, women senators would not ask questions because there sat the former lobbyists for pro-life in caucus, and they were very hesitant to say anything <laughs> to be used against them in their re-election. So the minute I learned that, I said, I'm the one that's got to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I started asking the questions that I thought they were, they were, you know, how about the morning after pill? You know, how about, uh, you know, uh, uh, contraception? Mm. How about all, I mean, is this covered in here? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm the one that asked those questions. Mm -hmm. So he obviously picked up that I was opposed. Yeah. So, so that was, that was used against me. Yeah. Uh, that. That and the ins the insurance bill, and uh, as I mentioned, and uh, oh, the White River problem. Uh, that was uh, unfortunately that was still in the district with the piano teacher oh. <laughs> you know, and the lessons, uh, and uh, the property tax. I think really had a, a big play on it. Um, so otherwise, I don't know, because I was up there a lot, I was giving, I was giving speeches. Mm -hmm. In fact, very early on in my career, I was the governmental official of the year by the uh, uh, Johnson County, or Franklin mm -hmm. uh, Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> you know, so it all slipped a long way yeah. from there. Uh, yeah. And well, you know, you run without an opponent uh, enough time, you get a little sloppy, yeah. I suppose. But uh, uh, just, it was just, uh, and it was it was it was probably meant to be, mm -hmm. uh, and and it worked out it, it it worked out decently. I just would not I would not want to go through some of the issues that they're they're almost welcoming these days mm -hmm. in the legislature because they're very divisive issues. Mm -hmm. so, okay, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, um, This is a loaded question. I don't know how you could answer this easily, but how would you summarize your time as a state legislator? My time as a state How would you summarize it? Uh, pride. Uh, pride in serving there, uh, the experiences I had, the knowledge I acquired of how government works. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, uh, the friendships, very close friendships. Uh, very close friends with the staff, uh, with... Uh, with senators even across the aisle. One, my early years, one senator said, you know, he said one thing about the Senate, he said, you can go anywhere in the state and uh, there'll be a state senator uh, somewhere in that area, uh, Democrat or Republican, and you can call them up and have a great conversation mm -hmm. because, you know, you, you form very close friendships and yeah. you do. And, and it's, it's, just, it's just the challenge. And that's that when I became pro tem, I missed the challenge of taking a bill all the way through the process, mm -hmm. presenting it on the floor. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the action was. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's what I really enjoyed. <laughs> Answering questions, you get questions, you know, mm -hmm. by senators on because you, you always had a right to ask a question. Right. Uh, and 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 I, the longer that I stayed away from sponsoring the bills, I think the more I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the action. You're right. Right. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, uh, working with the interns, uh, uh, developing the budget, uh, I mean, I, I'm not doing it, but being attuned to what's going on with it and uh, things, things that are happening. 
another another proud moment, and uh, this frustrated Senator Borst, who was chair of the Senate Finance. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no one better to chair finance. I had people. How come? How come Maura Mills is on the budget subcommittee, and Larry Borst from Indianapolis too? Is, uh, they both were from then. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, is chair of the committee. That's not right. Name two better. You know. They were both very, very good. Mm -hmm. Well, I had this bill in my hand coming from the House that had to do with gambling. And uh, I just walked up and I said, well, I wonder if Larry even wants to fool with this. He may not want to be involved with this. Uh, pretty sure he doesn't want it. But I, I'll ask him out of courtesy. Mm -hmm. uh, public policy, it could have gone too, you know. And uh, so I walked in and I had the bill and, oh, Members of the uh, Republican majority were meeting, uh, going through the budget, you know. Oh, so I just sat there next to Larry, didn't say anything, and, and was listening, and they got into capital projects. Oh, <laughs> really? This whole complex out here of uh, IUPUC, they call it now, <clears throat> was an old army old Air Force headquarters. Air Force had that base out here. And we were going to renovate it for IUPUC, IUPUI extension, uh -huh. to come down and teach courses. And I don't know, 20, 25, whatever the money was, mm -hmm. uh, had been taken out. It wasn't in the budget. And uh, or maybe it it, was, it wasn't in there from the House, anyway. I forgot my timing. And uh, they're discussing capital projects. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, I have one <laughs> that I'd like to have. Luke Kenley was on the committee. And I said, Luke, you know the president of Arvin. Uh, you practiced in a law firm with him uh, a number of years ago. Uh, I said, he's now president of Arvin Industries the muffler manufacturers, and, and uh, man, if we can get this building uh, across the street, there's an empty building, and that will be all the training for the hospital, you mm -hmm. know, and all that stuff. And, and uh, so Larry was really upset by this. He said, has this been approved by the Commission on Higher Education? I said, yes, it had. <laughs> because I always had a rule, Larry had the rule, Hadn't been approved by the commission. We weren't going to put it in mm -hmm. at the last minute. Mm -hmm. It had been approved. Oh, that's like so, <laughs> so they decided to put it in. <laughs> oh, so then I afterward, Larry and I talked about the bill I had mm -hmm. in my hand. And Senator Bob Meeks, you mentioned, mm -hmm. Bob thought I was absolutely brilliant that I knew the committee was going on and what it was discussing. <laughs> and I walked up with that bill and talked about Larry. And it was serendipity. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. All I knew, he wasn't in his office, and his legislative assistant said, "Yeah, they're they're next door in the car in the um, uh, finance room." So I walked in. <laughs> Funny how that works. Isn't and it? sat at the side. And then we got into capital projects, and I moved over and talked with Larry. It was really funny, but because we did have approval, mm -hmm. and that's that's how we got that. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. That was a big, big deal to the community. Yeah, that I bet. Was, that was huge. I bet it was. Um, how 
long would you say the state of Indiana has changed over the course of your time here? Well, from my reaction, my perception, I think it's become much more conservative in, in politics and in issues. Um, and this is one of the problems with redistricting. I mean, okay, I, I, I had been here since, what did I say, since the fall of 61, mm -hmm. November of 61. You go along the Ohio River, all Democratic votes, no solid. And that's where Lee Hamilton had his base down there. Well, people moved in and, and expanded suburbs, grew in. It, it's now mixed. In fact, a lot of it is, is Republican, and now, wait a minute, Marion County there for a few years was, was Republican, now we're talking Democratic, mm -hmm. you know, and so that has changed and altered uh -huh. a lot. Uh, Lake County, uh, they're not going to vote Republican up in Lake mm -hmm. County. Uh, I, I just think that, uh, but, but somehow the Democratic Party in my mind, has had less and less influence mm -hmm. uh, and impact uh, on certainly on local elections, and redistricting may be part of it, uh, but they're just not their votes aren't there. Mm -hmm. You know, areas have changed. What do you think is causing that shift? I mean, I've heard that I, from I other people. I don't know. I, I don't know where, where that's, I mean, I really don't, I, I don't know if that's based on income, Mm -hmm. You know, the, the middle income, but shoot, factory workers anymore middle, are in a middle income range for a lot. So I, I, I really can't answer to what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and maybe, uh, maybe a, a leader like a Dick Luger, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, hmm. But it, uh, politics has changed. I mean... It, it, it is absolutely incredible. You've got 41 Republicans, or is it 42? 41, I think, in the state Senate. I mean, that's, that's absurd. Uh, and, and the House, I think the House can even set its own quorum. You have to have two-thirds for a quorum. I, I don't think I explained that to you in both houses. And that's why the Democrats could break the quorum when we were in recess all those days. Uh, because we didn't have two-thirds votes. I think we had, uh, one thing I forgot to add, I think we, we might have had 27, 28 votes. We mm -hmm. might have had another one or two like that. But, but I closed it without letting Jim Lewis notify him that he could vote. And then I knew the next thing I had to do, which I forgot to tell you, was announce the vote. Mm -hmm. I was not going to turn around and look at the board <laughs> because Frank is yelling at me, <laughs> at me in the Senate. So I guessed. <laughs> Votes 27 to 22, and I hit it. <laughs> wow. I think that's the Republican votes that we had. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, uh, this, you kind of just answered this too, but has this political shift affected how the IGA has evolved, how the General Assembly Oh, yeah, has no question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, a Tea Party influence. Um, um, Oh, shoot. Uh, I'm searching for a name. He and I both served on the Franklin College board together. He was an editor for um, one of the major news papers, Thomason, Dan Thomason. He often wrote a column. 
and he was the uh, he was one of their editors, and uh, he also was master of ceremonies. This was probably before you were born, when Reagan they had that that roast, you know, mm -hmm. whatever they call it, yeah, in D.C. and and uh, he said, I'm sitting up there with Reagan. I know he did not know that Nancy was going to come out in that makeshift dress and sing Secondhand Rose. And, and it changed her whole image at the uh -huh. time. But he was master of ceremony. I mean, this guy was really up yeah. there. And so he told me after, uh, after I'd, I'd gotten beat, and, and I, 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 what's he saying? He said, you're just the first. I'm thinking, he apparently foresaw or knew about the tea party, <laughs> you know, and all, because I'm, I'm thinking, what do you mean I'm just the first? What? Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't ask him, but I thought, that's interesting. I thought a lot about that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and people... People, you know, they. Uh, one woman ran against me one time, and and she was a nice lady from Franklin, a young woman, young baby, um, and she was really convinced she was winning. I mean, the Senate mm. Democrats had her winning, no question. Mm. Well, we had a debate, and I, this was a nonsensical follow-up by me, but she would always use that. Uh, you know, she was uh, uh, she was in what was it, kindergarten or second grade the, mm -hmm. when I was first elected, uh -huh. you know, seventh, whatever it was, who cares? Yeah. Okay, and so I followed her and I was up next and I said, you know, I said, the closest that I can figure it, you were in junior high the last time that Indiana beat Iowa in football in Kinnick Stadium. <laughs> it made no sense yeah. at all, but the audience laughed. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, isn't this silly? Yeah. Yeah. But that was pretty clever of mine. <laughs> that. It was, it was sad. She had her work wall picked out. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, and, and we beat her dog on there two to one. I mean, it was, she, mm -hmm. she was, she just couldn't believe it. She yeah. was dumbfounded. Well, I think the last official question that I have here, I know that you're not a Hoosier from the start, but no. you've been here a long time and served here a long time. What, if any, enduring qualities do you think Hoosier people still have or hold dear? Oh, they're very stubborn. Um, uh, they can be very likable. Uh, they can be very hospitable. Uh, and, and that's changing now. I mean... I mean, we, you know, we had a governor, the one to stop immigrants from coming into our state, Muslims. <laughs> and I thought, we got, are we going to put up, you know, guard shacks all along our borders? Uh, he had, Mike finally had to back off from that, but I thought, my gosh, wow. Uh, practical, innovative, oh my, the, the talent that's come out of Indiana. I used to have a speech in influence called Indiana. I, 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 I gave a lot of times, um, you know, the Red Skeletons of the world, uh, all of the movie actors and actresses, uh, uh, you know, put a tiger in your tank. That was started by an ad agency of a guy that worked in that agency. He was from Indiana. Mm -hmm. 
uh, on it. Uh, there was just a whole raft of things that uh, that we were uh, that 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 Hoosiers pioneered. Good Lord, music, you know, Hoagy Carmichael. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. no. And I would list all of these. Yeah. It was about a 40, 40 45 wow. minute speech. Uh -huh. uh, Ma and Paul Kettle. Uh, Ma was uh, one of the suburbs of Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, you know, education, uh, Purdue, IU, you look at our College of Higher Education, both public and private, mm -hmm. outstanding. I mean, the Hanovers, the Wabashes, mm -hmm. you know, the Notre Dames, yeah. uh, the, yeah. the, uh, the IUs and Purdue's and and the, and the ball states, my gosh. Uh, oh, and uh, oh, who uh, uh, had the late night show? David Letterman. Yeah, thank uh -huh. you. I saw the plaque up there one time uh, when I was visiting Ball State. Uh -huh. It's a room dedicated to him. Mm -hmm. and the room is dedicated to all the D students. <laughs> Signed, David uh -huh. Letterman. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and it, just, it just continues. Oh, one thing that really shocks a lot of people, kitty litter. A guy up in South Bend. Really? Yeah. I've never heard that He's, one. Yeah, well, the president of the bank, uh, he was on a trip I took with Bob Orr when we went to China. Mm. And uh, he told me, this, this was a good friend of his. Uh, and so I, I, I'm not clear if, he, if, if his property was, was on Lake Michigan or where it was, mm -hmm. but it, it had a sandy beach. And he noticed that cats were going down there using it a lot, and it was kitty litter. It wasn't sand. Yeah. <laughs> it was something. And so he started packaging it and selling it. Wow. <laughs> I did not know that. Isn't that, that I, is I mean, it's just... You just you can, I mean, you can do that with any state, sure, obviously. But... I mean, Meredith Wilson came from... I well, for heaven's sakes, the music man, you know. Uh, but it, uh, yeah. So you just you just gotta look at um, rattle rattle boom boom. Mm -hmm. That was a Hoosier. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a commercial. Yeah. On the... things that's happened to your car parts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking more and more of them as I. Go through it. It's uh, it's just, it's just a fascinating mm -hmm. list. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, and uh, there's a lot of pride in Indiana. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the 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 wars that were fought here, if you will, the, against the Indians. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Battle of Tippecanoe. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just uh, and the. Uh, Just the evolution of our state government, I found fascinating, mm -hmm. um, and that's why they relocated to Indianapolis, is more in the middle of the state. Right. Um, and and the good old legislature, uh, whoever was in charge, it was a state official of the move, all the records, mm -hmm. and he also put some private goods into the wagon, uh, drove it up to Indianapolis. Legislature found out about it, and they gave him a bill for his private goods. 
<laughs> that seems like a fitting Indiana legislature story to end on there. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and I, I, as I say, there, there are times when we can be very, very progressive. Mm -hmm. uh, other times, not so much. But, um, you know, um, the toll road, for heaven's sakes, uh, it just, uh, the Indianapolis airport, didn't I see it just a few weeks ago? I think it was rated the number one airport. Oh, really? It's yeah. a beautiful airport. Yeah, it really is. Very in, accessible. In convenience and yeah. customer sensitive and so forth. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was a, there really a lot, of, mm -hmm. a lot of decent things that's come out of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I feel like I could ask you more questions. I feel like you can't quite encapsulate a 30 plus year career in like four hours, but we have talked a lot today, so. Yeah, we really have. You've been very good. Well, thank you. Well, thank I, you so much I, for answering I, I the know, questions. I do not handle these things nicely because I'll get off on tangents and then I'll forget where I was <laughs> before I got to the tangent. But the tangents are important too, so you and, have to kind of uh, keep the stories. Yeah, and, and the, um, and television, I was never comfortable with television. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. With uh, with uh, Barb's uh, work at the station yeah. and Brenda's career. Yeah. I just, uh, particularly in the earlier cameras when you could hear them whir, I would want to talk faster and faster oh. <laughs> to keep up with it. <laughs> That's funny. I just was not, uh, I just was not comfortable. Mm -hmm. And a teleprompter I never learned how to use. I, that would uh, be difficult. Uh, so. Well, I want to revisit the consent and release form or the release yeah. and do you, everything fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll thank just, you so much for yeah, having welcome. me up here and, and taking the time to talk with me. I've, I really enjoyed it and have learned a yeah, lot. Thank so. you. I'm a, I almost want to go downstairs and find my Indiana speech and tell you more <laughs> yeah. about people here because it really. I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot to brag about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there really is. Mm -hmm. So, anyhow. True. Well, thank you so much you're again. Welcome. I've really enjoyed thank it. Thank you. So. Yeah. Okay, well, I will turn thank this off you. here. Thank you.